get it going. It's time to get up. Drop. Throwing. Acres out of the backfield for the touchdown for the Rams. These guys are here to break it all down. If we're all concerned about revenues here, why don't you expand the playoffs? I mean, there'll be more games that are meaningful. Teams that want the playoffs to be expanded, they say that one of the things that happens is if they miss the playoffs, they make less money on season ticket renewals and things like that. Okay, put more teams in. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. You know what? You guys get lost. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, one month to Christmas Eve. Here we go, the countdown is on. Kinda, sorta, what's going on everybody? It is Tuesday, November 24th. This is your starting lineup here on your home of Vancouver Hockey Sportsnet 650. James Sabolski here, Perry Solkowski there. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass, hanging with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on Sportsnet 650. And pair cooler heads have prevailed on the North Shore a city council in the middle of a pandemic actually had to go to a vote last night to decide whether or not they were going to put a curfew on Christmas lights this holiday season. Uh, we've had enough restrictions put down on us recently. <laughs> no kidding! Uh, yeah, like, I could under... Why 11 o'clock? Like, everybody should be in bed by 11 o'clock. Turn your Christmas lights out. Listen, I'm one of those guys that says find people when it's February and you still got your Christmas lights out and let that fine continue to grow if they have them up in the summertime. But listen, this is the only what have we had to look forward to in the last half year? Nothing. Summer, not a summer holiday, but summer, nice weather. But then, you know, you couldn't get into half the parks and the beaches and the lakes because it would be overcrowding. So there was a lot of disappointment there. Halloween, yeah, not really. You're building ramps to give out, you know, candy to kids, but it was all right. And then, you know, the numbers get worse and worse. And so, well, at least let's have Christmas. So our Christmas trees are up early. And oh, even uh, I was out at Rona a couple of days ago. The live ones are there. I'm thinking, geez, you know what? When do we go there? Because it puts everyone in a good mood. But who is on the North Shore, which Santa Claus has his own setup up top of Gross Mountain with an idea to say no Christmas lights? Thank goodness, smarter, cooler heads have prevailed with that. There we go. A small victory um, for people on the North Shore. Cooler heads prevailing last night. Thank you, City Council. All right, here's what we got coming up over the next three hours. Uh, Todd Bertuzzi, it's for Tuesday. He'll drop by in an hour from now and join us for our weekly conversation with him. Dan Murphy will be part of the Canucks commute coming up just after 8 o'clock. And uh, Anthony Stewart uh, from Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet Hockey Analyst will drop by in just a few minutes. Uh, We've been going around the National Hockey League uh, over the last uh, week or so and checking in with other teams uh, around the league and how they look. Uh, We'll we'll take a look at what the Leafs uh, have done and and just where they're sitting after a a busy offseason for them, bringing in several veterans, TJ Brody, Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, um, will it all be a hit? Zach Bogosian as well. Will it work? Is this finally the year? We'll talk to Stewie coming up in just a few minutes as well. 650-650 is the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line at Sportsnet 650 is where you can also find us on Twitter as well. And You know, Per, I, I saw a great story a few days ago from Sean Fitzgerald, who was a writer with The Athletic, and he, and he had shared the story just how it, it kind of resonated in the sense that you know, when he was a kid, that that first sports personality that just had his jaw drop 
And for him, it was Bobo Bilovich. And, and, you know, this is the time of the year that the Grey Cup typically gets played. And, you know, he's a young boy, and his dad was a writer. And so he's sitting there in the parking lot outside the Argos' offices. And, you know, he's nine years old. He gets a little nervous at an empty parking lot, runs into the Argos' office while his dad's doing work. And, you know, his dad's ready to strangle him, going, what the hell are you doing in here? And there's Bobo Bilovich who kind of comes out of his office brings him a, an Argos ball cap and, you know, puts it on his head and, you know, he says, you know, we'll show you around in a couple minutes when we're done. Just hang out here. And, like, just makes the kids' world. And and Sean becomes a fan of the league and, and the Argos ever since. And couldn't help but think, like, man, like, those moments when you kind of first met that, that sports star for the first time, right? I mean, everything seemed to be larger than life. And in an age of social media, uh, and pop culture and the accessibility of the internet it's so much easier to connect to people you didn't have that opportunity back then like was there like do you remember that first sports star for you that kind of popped like when you were a kid that you went holy cow i can't believe it's so and so oh uh, of course I, I think everybody remembers it i was um went to an edmonton oiler practice and and back then you could just like I don't I can't remember really sneaking in you just walked in, and the Toronto Maple Leafs in town and it so would have been early Lance. first year Oilers in the NHL so we take the LRT which is the SkyTrain get to to go to the rink get off at the at the stop for the Coliseum hit the elevator but as we hit the ele- elevator there's there's one other person walking around the corner to get in the elevator so whatever your little kids I think I'm grade grade seven or eight and Boria Salming walks in. And, you know, we talk for a living, James. I could not talk. He, Boris Salming was eight foot six and 270 pounds, the the biggest man in the history of the world, (laughs) in my eyes. Like he was massive. And Boris Salming, if you remember, man, that guy has a pronounced cut jaw, right? He should be on Mount Rushmore. And uh, it was just wow. Like, you know, you weren't my favorite player. The Leafs were, but but you were on my favorite team. And you're a massive man. I did not say hi. I did not say anything. He didn't say anything to us. But that elevator ride lasted, in my mind, about 10 minutes. Uh, it was probably five seconds. But it was just, oh, my goodness. You won't believe who we just saw. We don't believe who we just saw. Bart saw me. He's the greatest. It's like we were best friends. Never said anything. But, boy, that memory, as vivid as I can. Like, it was yesterday. What he was wearing, I could just call the police. I'll give you a description of exactly what he looks you look European, everybody, but here's what he's wearing. Unbelievable moment for me. The first ever interaction with someone who I just thought he's the greatest. And your heart's pounding, right? When you're a kid. Oh, just gosh. Like... Yeah, you're not going to say anything like a hi or anything. You're just, oh, my God. Like, you're hoping that happens. But when it happens, you got no- you, I got nothing. It was fantastic. When I was, uh, I had to be about seven. The Montreal Canadiens used to play alumni games against just go into different markets and play. And the the Tier 2 junior hockey team in the Central Junior Hockey League, which was basically the Eastern Ontario equivalent of the BCHL at the time. And so they've had a Gloucester Rangers, like the team we would go and watch was the Gloucester Rangers, and, and they had an alumni game against the Montreal Canadiens. And, like, of all the people who were there for as part of this alumni game in the early 80s, there's Doug Harvey. Like Doug Harvey, wow! And 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 I remember, my, you know, my grandparents used to have a couple of team pictures from, you know, the 1950s um, of the Montreal Canadiens, 
down on my grandfather's workbench. My dad hated the Habs, but, you know, you knew who, like, Rocket Richard, and you heard of Doug Harvey, and so I had a mini stick. And because oftentimes we'd go to these Ranger games as kids, and, yeah, you didn't stay focused for a full 60-minute game. You went off to the corner sometimes and just played mini sticks with a find a tennis ball or a, a sock rolled up and, and off you'd play. But there's Doug Harvey. And I remember walking over in the middle of the game, walking over to the bench, and he was at the end of the bench. And just like, you know, and I mean, you talk about the slick back hair, as most as most elderly gentlemen in those days did, right? The brill cream pair, a little dabble, do you? All slick yeah. back. And I just went over and said, Mr. Harvey, can I have an autograph? And, you know, didn't say a word, just kind of reached over, took took the marker, took the uh, took the mini stick and signed it away. And it was just like, holy crap, Like there's Doug Harvey. You think of like, one of the greatest defensemen in the history of the sport. Could you imagine Chris Pronger or Scott Niedermeyer or Paul Coffey playing and, you know, making the tour in an old timer or alumni game nowadays? Like, my heart was pounding. You kind of walk away and, you know, run it back to my dad. He's like, what? You just went over to Doug Harvey in the middle of an alumni game and asked him for an – like, <laughs> what What the hell were you thinking, kid? And um, that was like – but, man, like, Doug Harvey – like, he was so far – way before my time. But you knew yeah. who Doug Harvey was from my grandparents, from my dad. And, um, you know, he, he had died not long uh, – a few years after that. But that was um, – those were some of those. That, that was my the first like superhero that I kind of remember meeting as a kid that kind of resonated. And it's amazing the impression, and, and people are texting in right now, please, on the Dunbar Lumber uh, text line 650-650, guys who you meet. Uh, someone here, sign your text too. My memory met Burray at the airport as a 10-year-old that as he checked in to go oh. play in the World Cup. Guy totally ignored me, and I was the only person in this vicinity. The guy's a total jerk. Man, first impressions are something else, right? And, and I'll tell you this story. So I had known and have had, I'd known Trevor Linden since he was 18. And and we met up, we would go to Penticton. And when I was working in Edmonton and he would come to, um, uh, and come through with the Canucks, he would go for a drink, go for dinner. Well, my Kathy and my wife had never met him. So we were went to the game and we were meeting him down below afterwards. So there he is, but she had never met him. And he's coming over to say hi. And he is make the introduction, but there's a couple of kids, you know, who want autographs. And T does his thing, signs an autograph and a few others. But but by this time now, he's kind of like, hey, he signed a bunch. And now he's going out with us. But Kathy was, you know, the next day, geez, he's not that nice, eh? I go, what? Because oh, some kids want autographs and couldn't. I go, well, there it is, right? So it was that one kid that the athletes say, ignore going oh forever they're gonna hate yet how are you going to sign all of it right so here's pavel burry uh not saying anything but this was the only 10 year old around it's amazing the impressions they have yours of doug harvey all he did was sign it boris Soma didn't say anything to me but that was good enough uh, you understand what these guys carry around as to people who remember for the rest of their life good or bad when they finally saw somebody uh, six fifty, six fifty. Dunbar Lumber text line. Who was the first sports personality or athlete you ever encountered? Uh, we'll share some of those over the course of the morning. A few of them starting to pour in now, and we are pleased to be joined from Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet hockey analyst Anthony Stewart. Man, I loved you in Battle of the Blades. I thought you would have lasted longer based on all that training you had been doing there, Stewie. Yeah, the fix was in. I thought yes. I had a pretty good routine. I had the best costume. I had my makeup, three hours of makeup. I was ready to go. I went all in. 
and then I was the first guy out. <laughs> so, uh, but it was no, it was a great experience. Uh, the one thing I could say is you, you go from falling on your face the first day to literally doing lifts, uh, you know, ten days later. So every single day you got better and better. It was a great experience. I wouldn't change it for the world. So. Uh, I thought I did a little bit better than the judges uh, judged, but uh, that's figure skating for you. I'm fascinated by it, Stewie, because uh, I've been around. Michael Slipchuk runs our Canadian figure skating. I grew up with him, so I've been around the sport a lot, and Browning was an Edmonton guy, and I'm an Edmonton guy. Man, I have always appreciated how hard that is watching these guys up close going, man, how do you do that? Did you get a better appreciation for that sport having done this? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I have a hockey school in Toronto and I'm teaching edges and I'm like, I have no business teaching edges because I just got schooled <laughs> in a in a two month period where I, I was taught things that I had no idea existed, you know, just certain edges and everything like that. So I definitely have a, a new appreciation for skating because, you know, I was always one of the fastest skaters on my team, always in the top one or two. Uh, but I was just speed and power, you know, being, too, you know, officially 230 pounds, I would just, you know, power through my stride. But uh, just seeing the, the edge work just gives you an appreciation for the sport of figure skating, but just skating in general. So, Stewie, let's uh, – okay, before we kind of dive into what's uh, what's happening in the East right now and getting back to play and, and dive in a little bit about the Leafs, I want to ask you, we were just kind of talking about, who was the first sports personality or athlete that you ever encountered that uh, that kind of just left you, whoa, maybe it was a bad impression. Like, do you remember that first ever sports personality? I'm trying to think. And the one thing I say about hockey players, though, is when you catch them at the right time or majority of the time, they literally give you the time of day. They sign every autograph. They, you know, they, they ask you about your day. They make you feel important. But sometimes you catch them on the wrong time. You know, they, you know, they got chewed out by the coach or they had a bad game. But I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, I haven't had necessarily any uh, negative uh, experiences. I'm trying to think when I came to Florida my first year, we had Gary Roberts and and uh, Joe Newendike, and, uh, you know, the one thing I can remember, Chris Gratton sort of gave me a hard time where if he saw me on the table, he'd give it to me. If he saw me in the hot tub, he'd just be like, oh, it must be nice. In my day, we didn't have hot tubs. So <laughs> he gave me, uh, he gave me a, a good welcome to the NHL. Uh, but, uh, you know, once I uh, earned my stripes, uh, he, he treated me like one of the boys. Nice. Do you keep – you remember it so well. I would imagine with your personality – when you became an NHL player, it, was it tough to keep that memory to go, hey, any interaction with any kid, they're going to remember it for a long time because I remember Gratton when I was young? Yeah, and I don't want this to be the headline, Chris Gratton was a jerk because he'll call me and say, yeah, I am a jerk. No. In the chair, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but the hockey players, are, they're taught from a young age, you got to be humble, you got to be appreciative, you got to work for every single little thing. And, uh, you know, I, I saw an article yesterday comparing – uh, Connor McDavid's salary to uh, a bench player in the NBA, but hockey players are content. Obviously, there's a business side of it, but I can generally say most hockey players play in the National Hockey League for the love of the game. There is a business side, but they do enjoy the, the pure form of hockey. So uh, part of that is getting to the top and the pinnacle of the sport is you have to be humble. you got to you know treat uh, people that can't do anything for you with respect, and those are the lessons that help get you to the National Hockey League. I believe it's the hardest league to get to, and you can't just be a good player. You have to have all those life lessons that get you there as well. Anthony Stewart here on Sportsnet 650. It's funny, you talk about walking into the room as, as a youngster with the Panthers. Um, suddenly you've got Joe Thornton, 
Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, TJ Brody walking in as veterans into a room full of kids to a, to a large part with the Toronto Maple Leafs. What do you make of the Leafs offseason, and do you like what they've done? I like it. I like it. They need to get a little bit more wiser, need to get a little bit longer in the tooth, but they added some physicality. And, uh, you know, say what you want about Zach Bogosian. You know, his, his career is almost over with what happened in Buffalo, but – you know, just showing his leadership experience and what he brings. You know, he Tampa Bay ended up plucking him and signing him, and he ends up winning a Stanley Cup. So he's going to be a good addition. Is he going to come in and give you 25 minutes? Probably not. But he's a guy that he commands respect on the ice, off the ice, in the dressing room. He plays a physical role. Wayne Simmons, you know, he, he is one of the best leaders in the National Hockey League. People say, well, leadership doesn't win you Stanley Cups. Yes, it does. Just, the, you know, we've seen Tom Wilson come into Toronto and, and, and beat that crap out of these guys for the last three, four years. And he's the antidote to Tom Wilson. So uh, Tom Wilson will be playing, you know, probably three inches shorter and 30 pounds lighter when he comes into Toronto. But Joe Thornton, I think, is, is, is a guy that is going to surprise a lot of people. And people, when, uh, you know, when Spezza signed last year, they weren't big fans of the signing, and he ended up coming clutch late in the season. Joe Thornton will have a bigger impact than uh, Spezza did last year just based on his leadership capabilities, his second power play capabilities. He can still play. You see what he's doing right now in the Swiss League. He's putting up points, and that's on the big, big ice. I play in that Swiss League, and I had a hard time getting up and down the ice, and I was a pretty good uh, skater. So to see Joe Thornton doing that there and, and putting up pretty good numbers, that's great. So I like the additions. I, uh, I think for this Leafs roster, a lot of it had to be addition by subtraction. They had too many quote-unquote skilled guys, guys that are point guys. They need to get a little bit heavier, a little bit taller, a little bit longer in the tooth, and they did that, so I like it. And I forgot to mention uh, Brody as well. He's another guy that's going to step in top four minutes and be a top guy for the Maple Leafs as well. You know, I, watching Monday Night Football yesterday, they were talking about Antonio Brown, and they know what he brought besides off, off the field, but... They were talking about how will he be accepted by the other receivers. So you've just mentioned an awful lot of leadership of Stewie that's coming into the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is there any concern that those who were there, because it does speak to what, you know, obviously managed was a void in their leadership group there. Is it any concern it takes a while or it, you know, that this dressing room won't gel together like they anticipate? I think it will because, you know, usually when there's egos at, at stake or egos that, are, that, that could be a problem, it's, well, you know, this guy's coming in, he's going to mess around with my money and, and it's going to jam me up. But uh, the, the big guys, the big leadership group, they're all paid. They're all paid. They all got handsome deals. They're all, all set for life. Now with this lease roster, the focus has to be on winning. So if you want to be a part of this winning culture, you have to put your ego to the side and understand that these guys are here to compliment. None of these guys are coming in to be the main guys and, and take over. But, you know, in that dressing room, when things aren't going right, and I've been in those, you know, rooms where, you know, guys are sort of pointing the finger at each other, causing a big problem because we didn't have that natural leadership group. But when Joe Thornton speaks, you listen. When Wayne Simmons speaks, you, you listen to every single word. You hang on to every word. And those guys aren't just talking. Uh, they actually back it up. And that's the worst thing you can have when there's a lot of guys that just talk about it, saying, ah, the team played like crap, and da, 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 and they're pointing the finger elsewhere. But with the Leafs right now, they're bringing in accountability, guys that are going to do it, uh, you know, not just in the dressing room, but on the ice as well. How much, how much is this a mental hurdle for this club to just win around and then maybe this team could go, you know, maybe go on a big run? I, well, I've been part of the media now, so this is Toronto, baby, <laughs> where, you know, you, you crash into the post and they score a goal. I still see the Brian McClutz headline on the Toronto Sun, <laughs> you know, once in a while. 
where every single you're under a microscope in this market. So you have a bad game, a bad shift, it can end up on the front page of the newspaper. That's a lot of pressure. So uh, being a young guy in the National Hockey League, yeah, you can be paid, but you still have feelings. You're still a man. You're still a human being where, you know, if you're getting criticized every single week or every single day, it has an effect. But uh, I think it is mental. But once they get over that, that hurdle of winning a round or, or gelling, but this team is a talented team. We've seen what they've done uh, for three quarters of that season where they've dominated a lot of teams, a lot of games now. So I think the complimentary guys that they brought in, they rounded out the roster. They brought in a lot more depth. And I think, I still think, that they could be a Stanley Cup contender. We know what it's like, uh, you know, now that you're in the media. Anytime Toronto travels anywhere in Canada, all the jerseys are out. They, you know, it's Leaf fans from everywhere, whether they're playing in Edmonton, Winnipeg, or here in Vancouver, they get their support. So it might be difficult, right? Media is always there. Do you think of all the Canadian teams as we get into this Canadian division, and it'll be a Zoom world for a while still, that's kind of an advantage to the Leafs team that they won't be the traveling circus uh, as it normally is for them, it, at least to start this season if we get into it? Yeah, I, I think so. But, um, you know, say what you want when when you're playing in front of a packed house at, uh, you know, Scotiabank Scotia Arena, that definitely helps, uh, you know, having that crowd with those Leafs jerseys. But I think now not having the media coming in after every practice asking you, hey, what happened on that wipeout there at, at minute 26 of the uh, – practice there that's going to take off a lot of that pressure so now they can focus on playing hockey so uh, the thing is with uh, Sheldon Keith he's a young coach he understands it he understands young players you know he gets his message through he's a great coach I think you know his messages is now is going to get through a little bit clearer now that you don't really have that media scrutinizing every single movement to your face they'll still be doing it online maybe on Twitter or gifts like I do but uh, <laughs> it'll be it won't be as uh, prominent because it's behind the scenes your social media game, without question, is far, far and away the best of the Hockey Night in Canada panel here, uh, Stewie. G- give me a sense of, from a player standpoint, I think we're all kind of in a holding pattern waiting for, the, I guess, the players to officially respond beyond just uh, quotes and articles saying that they're pissed off and they're betrayed and they're blindsided. You got a sense of when we're going to probably see the puck drop here in the National Hockey League this year? Uh well, my, I don't really have any inside sources. I leave that to uh, Elliot Freeman. He's the guy that's, uh, you know, the, the eye in the sky or behind the scenes. But uh, I think with the NBA, you know, saying they're going to start uh, late December, that's really putting a lot of pressure on the NHL to get it going as quick as possible. So do we see January 1st? That's what they're talking about. But, you know, with what's going on right now with the CBA and them having to get a deal done probably by the end of next week to really be able to start, January 1st I see it being closer to the 15th or even you know February 1st so don't quote me on that because I'll deny it in, in, in three weeks when you ask me about it but uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's 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 it'll be interesting to see but at the end of the day at least we're talking about in the middle of the pandemic pandemic there will be hockey that's the one positive so whether it starts January 1st or February 1st at least we'll have some sort of uh, normalcy with uh, the NHL season Look forward to it. Anthony, thanks so much. Uh, Stay safe with everybody there. And as you say, I don't know when, but we know at some point they will be back. And that's nice to hear. And and boy, Canadian division, if that's what we see for the first little bit, it's going to be an awful lot of fun. Thanks for taking the time this morning, bud. Thanks a lot. Go Canucks, go. Thanks, Dewey. There you go. Just sucking up to the audience now, too. He's uh, he's learning, right? Go Canucks, go. There you are. yeah, there's uh, Anthony Stewart from Hockey Night in Canada weighing in uh, with the Leafs' chances we go uh, going around the National Hockey League for the the last uh, week or so, and 
uh, taking a look at the Leafs and their chances. Um, you know, a lot of experience, man. A lot of experience. I, I like yeah. the moves. And you know what? You know, they were able to kind of pull off these moves without breaking the bank, right? Like, a lot of these are low-risk moves. You know, it's not like there's a lot of term for, for Bogosian or a lot of term for Thornton here. No, listen, they were able to take advantage of a Joe Thornton or a Wayne Simmons and guys who kind of always dreamt of putting on that jersey. And uh, they fixed some serious problems, you know, with TJ Brody, with Bogosian on the back end, where they had been leaking. You know, their goaltending, I think, is strong enough that they'll be happy with what Anderson can do. And you look at the Leafs on paper, um, and you have the last couple of years, boy, that's an awful lot of talent. They've plugged a lot of holes. And so now if their talent plays, if they add the character and the character comes through, you know, uh, that might be the best hockey team in the Canadian division. But they have a lot to prove, and you can't prove anything until they drop the puck in the postseason because that will hang over their head until they get there. Much like Tampa Bay had to do something, but the Leafs have never gotten to the point Tampa Bay did to fall apart. Um, we'll see if this is their year. Wouldn't be shocked if Toronto goes on a big run in 2021 is, is a year they finally accomplish something. Uh, real quickly here, Pear, uh, a lot of people starting to share their uh, their first encounters with a yeah, sports awesome. personality, an athlete. Uh, Torgy and Langley totally redeeming the Russian rocket here, saying, I met Pavel Bure and Cliff Ronning at Kensington Arena. We got autographs and pictures with both. My friend's brother got to go in the dressing room, remember it like yesterday. That's uh, Torgy and Langley. And, and man, like what a, what a great... What a great moment there. Kelsey Braid, somebody you used to work with at one time, he threw it out on Twitter. The first athlete and personality he ever met, Wayne Gretzky, he met the day after the trade to the L.A. Kings. And the first sports personalities he met, Darren Detition and a young Perry Sulkowski at an Edmonton Trappers game many moons ago. Seriously? Yeah. You know, I had uh, when Jay Onright had his uh, book out, I got some texts from people go, hey, man, I read about you in the book. I go, what book? Oh, Jay Onright has a book and he mentions meeting you and Dutchie in Edmonton. I go, gosh, I have no idea that I met him. And so he I interned. He told, Jay, Jay, told me, Jay, Jay told me he interned with you. Yeah, uh, not an intern. I think it was a day. Sh- I don't know, but I yeah. didn't know it. So I went to the book and he see your name in the back. And go, what does it say? He goes, oh, no, Perry seemed like the guy I thought he was going to be. Yeah, which to our point, James, in a smaller, smaller version, we do meet a lot of people, people who will job shadow you for the day. And at the same thing, like Anthony Stewart says, you you never know. So you're, you're always polite. And some are more gregarious than others. But you never know when someone's going, oh, I met you when. So there you go. At least I got off. The, I, I was unaware of the Kelsey Braid story. Yeah, there's some great ones starting to pour in on Twitter as well. At Sportsnet650, at P. Solkowski, or at James Sabalski. You can hit us up on Twitter. Keep them coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Much more still to come and how Louis Erickson is turning into Vancouver's version of the Cat Came Back. We'll explain that next on Seabell Says here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. <laughs> 9년 팬들과 함께 거침없이 달려온 KBO 리그의 아홉 번째 심장의 지더이버스가 2020년 가장 깊은 가을, 가장 높은 곳에서 새로운 역사를 만들어냅니다. 창단 천우승의 힘찬 박동 KBO 리그의 새 챔피언 NC 다이버스입니다. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650.
There you go. You've got champions. Help me with that. Okay, so, uh, you know, Greg Ballard could probably better do a better job of uh, explaining this, but Greg's the one guy I know that consistently stayed with Korean baseball throughout this pandemic. Uh, Ballard, you even bought a jersey for these guys, right? I'm wearing it right now. So the NC Dinos win the Korean series. They won it today. Game six of the Korean series is over. The Dinos have won their first KBO championship. I can officially say it, guys. Any North Americans on that team? A lot of them? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple, actually. They're allowed three foreign players. So they had two pitchers, Drew Ruchinski and Mike Wright, and their center fielder, Aaron Altair. He actually played for the Phillies a few years back. So, yeah, they had a couple of, couple of North American guys. And uh, and Mr. Baseball, Tom Selleck, right? <laughs> well, there's actually, it's funny, there's a Canadian playing in the league, too. He plays for a different team, but Jamie Romack from London, Ontario. So there is a bit of a Canadian twist on the KBO as well. which I was And following. you and your wife bought jerseys, did mm-hmm. you not, for the Dinos? Yeah, we bought Dinos jerseys. We've been, we talked about it before, but we're trying to learn a little bit of Korean. And uh, it's it's just been a, it's been a little bright spot on such a terrible year to, to discover this league and, and just how exciting it actually is. Well, now you can't, you, you know, when baseball gets, you got to stay with it forever now. you got to be that guy. <laughs> well, you got to be that correspondent. It's tough getting up when baseball. the games are at 1.30 a.m. sometimes. We'll watch some of the weekend ones, afternoon games, but uh, we'll, we'll usually watch on, like, a tape delay. Well, that's, that's how we consume our KBO. Uh, Perry, uh, six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. A lot of people uh, sharing their uh, their first uh, athletes. Yeah, these are great. And uh, I'll tell you what, John O playing to uh, to to my heart here as uh, he texts in at six fifty six fifty. My dad was once on a plane with Big John Stud. Dad said he was awesome. <laughs> I'll tell you what I was when I was ten. Like Doug Harvey, when I got my autograph from Doug Harvey, he didn't say boo to me. Just like you know, Bori Hasalmi didn't say anything to you. But when I was 10, my mom took me to my first wrestling event, Jesse mm-hmm. the Body Ventura, right? And Jesse was more of a commentator at that point. He came out for a match, and I'm standing there by the by the dressing room entrance. There's a security guard there, and there's nobody else. And Jesse's walking by me. And, like, this is the time where they're still protective of the business, right? Perry, I said, go get him, Jesse. And I'll never forget, he doesn't even look at me and just says, Get out of my way. <laughs> Walks off to the ring. Just like a 10-year-old. The only person he had to impress as a villain in that was me and a security guard. Mission accomplished. <laughs> it was like, what a jerk. You, you lost me. at My mom took me to my first wrestling event. <laughs> like, you were destined for this. What a great mom you have. Oh, oh yeah. He's not going to shut up. You better take him to a wrestling event. <laughs> he's never going to stop asking. Uh, wow. Bobby in Vancouver uh, met Gino at the domestic arrivals back in 1990 when teams would go through where the public would exit. I approached him with an 8x10 picture of him fighting Dave Brown. He was super pumped and was a little shaky with what to write and sign. Overall, 10 out of 10 experience. Uh, that regarding Bobby's uh, meeting with Gino Ojic uh, 30 years ago. And, you know, there's been a little buzz over the last few weeks about trying to put Gino Rogic in the uh, ring of honor here these mm-hmm. days, Bear. Ten-year anniversary today of Kirk McLean going into the Canucks ring of honor. And I'm sure a lot of people, as if you're just joining us, we started the conversation about the first pro athlete you met. I'm sure Captain Kirk was part of that. Uh, Adam C. Coach from uh, Jeremy said, I was an Adam C. Coach. Our team got invited to a Canucks practice in the early 80s by Roger Nielsen. 
practice closed. We were the only ones there. Remember, the Coliseum was huge because it was empty. But after the practice, when the players were leaving the ice, Ivan Halinka stopped, smiled, handed me a stick. I will never forget connecting with the player. Now I wish I kept the stick and not played with it. You know, that's <laughs> the thing, James. You go back old school, yeah. right? You could go down right behind the bench. So when the players were walking too, there was there was no making sure you keep people away from them. You're right there saying, "Hey, can I have your stick? Can I have your stick?" Like literally, as soon as they get to that tunnel, that's where you would line up, and then they'd have that 20, 30 feet where they're walking to the dressing room. So you had that opportunity. I I told the story once of of Gordy Howe uh, going to a Hartford Whalers practice where Gordy Howe was still playing, and I asked Gordy Howe for a stick, and he absolutely whacked me over the shins with his. There's your stick. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's amazing. Thanks so much for that. But yeah, how's this for before, a name but... for the past? Uh, the collector dude texting in here at six fifty six fifty. Yes, I'm old, but I remember meeting Cyclone Taylor in nineteen seventy one at a schmocky game, a bastardized celebrity versus media game at the Pacific Coliseum. I was in total awe. He took a spin on the ice in a full suit and tie and a fedora. There's a throwback. Wow. Cyclone Taylor. Wow. That's maybe awesome. Cyclone Taylor Texas, Sports yep. should be selling a suit and fedora at the back, you know, maybe next to the skates. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's awesome. Texas, you're not even brushed with greatness, but the first athlete you've ever met. And it just was wow. Couldn't believe he was that guy at the number lumber text line 650-650. Let's get into today's edition of Seaball Says. You know, I was like to take this opportunity to talk about myself. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. Well, when you walk down the street or ride a SkyTrain and see an old school Canucks name and number, it generally brings a smile to your face. A quick thought to a moment from that player before you go back to doom scrolling on your phone or creeping on your Instagram feed. But one player who in all likelihood won't bring back those warm fuzzies will be Louis Erickson. I really hate you. Yeah, the man who might top the power rankings for the worst all-time signing in Canucks history is still on the team going into year five of his contract after a second straight offseason in which both he and the player and the team tried to mutually break up. Didn't happen nor will it barring a miracle, which is about as likely as Donald Trump admitting he lost fair and square. Mm -mm. No, 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 hell no. Erickson's future took an intriguing twist about 18 months ago when the underperforming vet suggested that he and Canucks head coach Travis Green don't really see eye to eye during an interview with the World Hockey Championship. Now, both sides explored a way out in the summer of 2019, but nothing materialized. Erickson's agent, J.P. Barry, appeared on Reach Deep yesterday and suggested that another attempt was made over the last six weeks. We've worked together pretty hard trying to find opportunities, but things pretty much, you know, went quiet here a few days after free agency in this business. Uh, I think just because of the uncertainty around the start of the season, there just really hasn't been... Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm talking to GMs. There hasn't been a lot of trade discussions, and there has, certainly hasn't been many negotiations. So, really, since probably a week into free agency, there's not been a lot of business going on in the NHL right now. It's understandable why there aren't any takers for Louis. 
add in the fact that general manager Jim Benning has gone on record to insist he wasn't coughing up draft picks to move money out, and it appears we've hit a dead end. Essentially, the 35-year-old Erickson, who has mustered 38 goals in four seasons here, has become a modern-day version of a classic from the National Film Board of Canada. But the cat came back the very next day. The cat came back. They thought he was a gunner, but the cat came back. See, it's conceivable that Louis could be buried in the minors this year should the AHL drop the puck. But before we plan a social distancing Zoom call parade, consider this. Erickson's contract might actually turn out to be a win for an organization feeling the financial pinch like many clubs. See, Erickson's cap hit might have a robust $6 million hit, but it's only a million dollars in actual cash for the season. Add in the escrow and the salary deferral, and it might actually be closer to $700,000 or less. Look, you couldn't have predicted a pandemic of this proportion in January, let alone four years ago when the Canucks signed the veteran Swedish forward to a six-year deal worth $36 million. But the low cash hit might actually be a small victory in keeping Louie around this season. So brace yourself, fans, for another year of Louie the Cat. But the cat came back the very next day. The cat came back. They thought he was a goner, but the cat came back. He just couldn't stay, stay away. away. And that is this morning, Seaball says. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Take a sip, digest what you just heard, and brace for another year of Louie in the top six. 643, no BS, just PS. And that's next right here on Sportsnet 650. It's all PS, no BS, right here on the starting lineup. Welcome back, 648. Uh, James and Perry, we know the headlines. Brady loses. NHLPA continues to talk to get it done. But here are some other headlines. No BS, just PS, everybody. Uh, not sure, James, if he's a comedic genius, but Gallagher played a big part in the Dallas Cowboys win on Sunday over Minnesota. Any attention to this little watermelon? So remember Gallagher? Like, I haven't thought of him in decades since he's been relevant, right? He's the comedian that would take a sledgehammer and just smash things. And the big thing for him was smashing watermelon. So on Saturday night, he's got the Cowboys' final meeting before the game against Minnesota. He lines up a whole bunch of watermelons. The final watermelon, and what he's telling is the guys, this is how we're going after the football. The last watermelon has a 33 on it, representing Delvin Cook. Demarcus Lawrence gets up and goes, no, coach, leave that for me. He takes this sledgehammer and smashes and goes, guys, that's how we're playing tomorrow. We're attacking that football constantly. They create the turnovers and they create the win thanks to the Gallagher-esque speech by Mike McCarthy. Why was Gallagher such a more regular name in, uh, I don't know, it just seemed to be way more common back in the day. There, Tony Gallagher, obviously a fixture here. Uh, remember Gallagher, there was the... Uh, you know, there was Dan Gallagher, who hosted that uh, oh, Much yeah. Music game yeah. show. And then there was the show Gallagher that was that sports talk show way back in the day on TSN, you know, like in the mid-90s. All sorts of Gallagher's back in the day. Now, how many Gallagher's do you hear of? 
Hey, shout out to uh, the Gallagher's out in Delta. What, one who, one who plays some hockey, the other trains. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, Oasis I, needs a, a reunion again, right? Like, let's get going. Uh, you know what? And I, I can't believe Gallagher was a comedian. I had to go to YouTube to watch him. Well, what was funny about any of this? But it worked back then. Hey, a P.S. There will be baseball this summer, and for one night in a field where it can only be dreamed of. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. Might be a little more than $20, but the New York Yankees and Chicago White Sox scheduled to face off in Dyersville, Iowa, site made famous by the Field of Dreams movie. They'll play, if everything goes according to schedule, August 12th in Iowa. (laughs) Will there be a vaccine by then? Well, let's hope so. But boy, if you're going to go to one game, wouldn't that be the game to go to? That'd be awesome to see. Uh, but yeah, then you have PS... to go to Iowa. But then you got to go to Iowa, pair. Come on. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> P.S. Tough enough to meet the press when you're a young spar with Lamella Ball. Had to talk to the media a couple days ago. He had to deal with the daddy issues. Like the fact his dad continues to say, Michael Jordan, one-on-one, I'd be able to get him done. I'd beat him. Uh, like I said, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And then I think we know how it would turn out, to be honest. So I don't, I don't really know too much. But, I mean, that is my pops and it's my boss. So, I'm on both sides now. You feel me? Yeah, know where you stand. He handled it well. Jordan is now his boss since being drafted by Charlotte and dad's his dad. Dad's the guy who threw a party for 250 people in the COVID climate, a draft party for him. So, Mr. Ball will just continue to do Mr. Ball things. Why, like, why would you not just throw your dad under the bus in that particular case, right? Why would you even, like, why would you even walk that fine line with your boss right it'd be like if Wayne Gretzky was my was my boss and my dad had been going around chirping to say you know what I would totally be a better hockey player and I'd be Wayne Gretzky one or I'd you know whatever I'd stop Wayne Gretzky on a breakaway whatever the case just say you know what my dad's not doing that you know I love you dad but Michael Jordan's the GOAT <laughs> LaBello uh, yeah. come on it, man just, it, own, it, just own it just, just, just eat this one you know his dad's different, and in two days, he's got to have Thanksgiving dinner with him. So that's why. <laughs> P.S. There is pressure to win NFL games, and no one wants to make a mistake that can cost your team a football game, but it happens. Please forgive me. I know not what I do. Please forgive me. Marcus Veldez Scanley made the big fumble and cost the, the Packers the game against the Colts in overtime. And then, as can be the case, social media death threats for Scanlon. Aaron Rodgers said, listen, I love my receiver. It's bad timing. Get off his case. Man, I've had my fair share of bad fumbles. It just happens. Such is the case. Hey, we saw it here. You go back to the Pedersen hit. Mark Matheson, Mike Matheson did it to him. And the death threats are coming. Go, man, just fans go a little too much. Take the crazy fan base that is the NFL, the cheeseheads. They weren't happy on social media. Good on Aaron Rodgers to step up, support his receiver, and say, man, it, it happens. No one wants it to. Let's move on. Move on to Cincinnati, if you will. 
do you think that Shane Churla's families and fans of the Dallas Stars uh, were uttering death threats to Pavel Bure back in the 90s when Pavel took out uh, Churla? Yeah, isn't that how things have changed, hey? Well, it would have been back in the 90s. You could get away with stuff, Although, right? you know, I'll say this. Pat Quinn, you know, Pat Quinn died on this uh, yesterday. It was the six-year anniversary of the passing of, of the big Irishman. And, man, like, it's amazing how many Bruins fans out there um, or Bobby Orr fans looked at Pat Quinn and how Quinn always mm-hmm. heard it for years and years and years, how he almost killed Bobby Orr. Like, man, he, like he became the ultimate villain in Boston for a long time where, you know, longtime camera guy I worked with here, Dwayne Mitchell, he loved Bobby Orr. But, man, like there wasn't a day that, you know, any time that Pat came to town, you know, even after his time with the with the uh, after with the Canucks, you know, it was still it would still come up. Right. And my dad, when I had a chance to introduce my dad to Pat Quinn about 10 years ago, same thing. Pat, by the way, my dad's a huge Bruins fan. Let me guess. You're pissed off that I almost killed Bobby Orr, right? Like, I mean, it just yeah. came up all the time. Like, you kind of get to find certain time when you when you do something wrong to somebody's star, there's going to be hell to pay. And way back when, what could fans do? A, you had to buy a ticket to boo the player. You could maybe create and make a sign that you could take into the game and go down to the glass and put it there. But that was your only avenue to express your frustration and how ang- angry you were at, at the villain on the other team or what had happened. And in this case, on your own player. But now, grab my phone. I hate you, Marcus Vanoscandal. I got to trade you. I hate you. So the good and the bad of 2020. Nice. That's not BS, man. That's just PS. That is PS. Uh, all right, five minutes to 7 o'clock. Todd Bertuzzi. It's Bertuzzi, everybody. Todd will join us just after uh, 7 o'clock. And uh, don't forget, hey, keep sharing some of those submissions. Who was the first athlete slash sports personality you ever encountered in your lifetime? The Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business at 650-650. Love to hear from you. Much more still ahead here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Drop. Throwing. Acres out of the backfield for the touchdown for the Rams. These guys are here to break it all down. If we're all concerned about revenues here, why don't you expand the playoff? I mean, there'll be more games that are meaningful. Teams that want the playoffs to be expanded, they say that one of the things that happens is if they miss the playoffs, they make less money on season ticket renewals and things like that. Okay, put more teams in. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. You know what, you guys... This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Hey, a reminder this hour of the starting lineup is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative is a Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner, Arbuta Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. It's for Tuesday. Todd will join us in just a couple of minutes. Sabalski, Solkowski, we've been taking a lot of submissions this morning uh, asking you, who's the first sports personality or athlete that you ever encountered? Uh, Jesse and Nanaimo pair uh, on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. He shared this one saying, my dad took me to an alumni game with the Canucks and Habs about, uh, about 25 years ago. I was 11, did the same thing with Guy Lafleur as you did to Doug Harvey. Uh, my dad was just astonished, and I still have my Habs hat with Guy Lafleur on it. And that's from Jesse and Nanaimo. You know, pair any time I've ever dealt with Guy Lafleur, and any time I've ever encountered somebody who's had an interaction with Guy Lafleur, the mystique of the flower always lives up to the hype. 
Mm-hmm. And, and James, we've been fortunate, right? We're asking you on to Texas the first time you met someone and we're in awe, right? That that athlete, you know, even if you weren't a big fan, you go, but this is what he does. He plays in the league. Um, I did not like Gila Fleur. I told my story earlier. The first guy I met was Borea Salming in an elevator. I go, oh my goodness gracious, he was he he was larger than life, literally. But I I was a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. I was not a Montreal Canadian fan. I never met Gila Fleur, but we get into this business, and there it is. Gila Fleur, if people remember, he was a New York Ranger. Yeah. When I went to do a story on him, and back then our interview process. You would just go watch the practice and be on the player's bench or the visitor's bench and just ask as these guys skated around, sometimes before practice, right, as they're just kind of stretching, can I get a word? Some would go after a practice. Paul Coffey would always be famous. Hey, I'm, I'm working right now, which was true. They were working. But so Guy was great. He came after practice. And, you know, my mind says, oh, it's Guy Lafleur. Man, I hate this guy. And to your point, James, you go, oh, my God, what a nice man. Like, just so polite. You have everything. That's great. And I'm just like, okay. Didn't like Gila Fleur. Okay, Gila Fleur, you're really nice. I'd like to apologize for the last 15 years of hating you every Saturday night. But, yeah, the flower uh, lives up to that hype because I don't know if there's a lot of people that have met him or had little interaction with him where you didn't go, wow, that's unbelievable. You know, here's a random one, but, man, this is this is pretty good. We'll get to Burton in just a quick second. K2 and Maple Ridge saying, I was a young boy, and I was headed to watch the Sabres play the Bruins at the old auditorium in Buffalo. And my oh. uncle and I stopped by the Players Hotel, and in the lobby eating breakfast was Joey Juno. He bought me and my uncle a donut, and we sat with him for what seemed like forever, but it was about 30 minutes. Then when the other players came down, he asked us to walk with the guys to the rink, so we did, which was pretty cool. Joey Juno, wow. who, uh, man, like, rocket scientist right but that one like, of the smartest guys ever yeah he literally yeah. was a rocket scientist it didn't come across like a rocket scientist but legit rocket scientist um speaking of rocket science um it is bertuesday um, and todd bertuzzi joins us here on uh, this tuesday morning how you doing big man i am doing uh i'm doing fine how about you guys what's going on well, we're going down memory lane this morning. Um, we've been asking people, and we were kind of sharing our own encounters. Uh, yeah, who was the first athlete or sports personality that you ever encountered that you kind of went, whoa. For me, as a kid, I was at a, a, a Montreal Canadiens alumni game, and Doug Harvey was there and signed a mini stick for me. Pear was saying it was his encounter was, uh, with the great Borey Salming as well. Did, did you have a first encounter for you? Uh, honestly, my first encounter ever was because I lived in Sudbury. We never went to any NHL games. All you saw in NHL was, uh, was on TV. And as far as other athletes and all that, I really didn't know anything about any of that. I was just a young kid who wanted to play hockey. I would say my first actual encounter, you guys are going to laugh. It was, uh, actually... Second year in junior, and we're playing in Niagara Falls. And this hockey player named Brad May, who was playing for the Buffalo Sabres, came into the dressing room to talk to uh, us before our game. And he actually went out of his way to sit beside me and, and talk to me for a while. And then fast forward, we ended up becoming <laughs> best friends. Uh, and playing together for three years. So he was my first ever 
professional athlete that I came across and uh, and and talked to it was actually Brad Bay. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I was seven. I was seventeen years old, and he was already playing uh, with the Buffalo Sabers, and uh, I didn't know much about him because we didn't watch really much TV or didn't read much about hockey and all that kind of stuff. So it was uh, it was like one of those pretty cool moments that uh, there is an NHL guy in your dressing room. Wow. Yeah. You know what? I would never have thought that because your age different is that much, but you know, for you to go that long and still be in junior hockey and haven't met anybody, we had Anthony Stewart on Bert uh, in the, in the previous hour. And we talked, Hey, you're never told all that, but um, you know, everybody has texted in. Oh, I remember I met this guy, this area, this area. You know, you had your relationship with the media, but I've seen you out in public where you just meet somebody. As a player, do you learn the importance of that five-second interaction as you're playing? Because hockey players seem to get it more so than any other athlete. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do realize the amount of impact that you can have on uh, on on, uh, on people's lives and uh, and kids' lives. Um, I met some fantastic people along my way. And it basically was just giving them a second of your time. And I've received so many beautiful letters from fans and all that with our interactions and all that. And you don't feel like it, it, it's that big of a deal or that it would mean that much, but uh, it sure does to a lot of these people. Cause these people, uh, not that we do, but these people look up to you and, and see you in a, in, in a different light and, that comes with a lot of uh, pressure from the athletes to make sure that they uh, they lend the support and they go out of their way and and uh, and spend a handful of minutes talking to these uh, these beautiful people. Well, well, tell me this, and, and it's funny because you know, pair we were at the at the Canucks Autism Network uh, draft that night, which was a hell of a good party. Bert, you went first overall at that draft, and and just the way you interacted. But man, I get I get so many messages from. From even just from friends that listen on Tuesdays when you come on, and you know how many times I've heard, man, Bert was my guy back in the day. You know, Bert was my guy. You know, I, I listened to a podcast with you know, uh, with uh, a guy named Arn Anderson who was a big wrestler back in the day. Of course, I'm listening to a yeah. wrestling podcast, but the point is. You know, he talked about how, you know, doing an autograph signing once, you know, here's this fan who showed up who had like a tattoo of him on his arm or his chest. And he was like, whoa, like that's kind of next level. But tell me this, like, I'm sure with the amount of encounters that you've had, like, have you signed a chest? Like what sort of some of the random encounters you've had with fans where maybe somebody had a tattoo of you or, uh, or anything like that? Like, come on, you must have signed a chest at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sure I've signed chess. Yeah, um, I, I, I've signed uh, like a lot of people back then named their dogs and their cats um, after my last name. So I end up signing a lot of leashes, a lot of collars. Really. Um, yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of people send me a lot of some interesting stuff. Um, it, it, it's funny there, there's such a, it's, it's funny when you play, like it, when, when you get to some of these interactions they are really awesome. And then that's why it's, it's difficult as an athlete sometimes, uh, to, 
differentiate between the people who want your autograph for money and the people who want your autograph because they enjoy you. And unfortunately, at some point in times, they both get mixed together. And, and sometimes as an athlete, and I know for a fact I've done this, I know every single athlete, you've run out on a handful because you just you didn't know if the guy was there sincere or not and all that, so you miss those interactions and sometimes it gets a little bit clustered and all that. But I've I've had some interesting times, interesting uh, uh, times of the night too that have uh, been asked for autographs and all that kind of stuff. So uh, hockey's got some tremendous fans. They got loyal, loyal followers. And wherever you go in the cities and all that, they're they're everywhere to be seen, and uh, it just shows how uh, how special our sport our uh, our sport is, and uh, well, it's I... always good to get back. Like I, I have had, I've had I have continuous relationship with fans that I've met that I've kept in contact with over the years and all that, just because uh, I don't know we both enjoyed each other's company and and I've had a lot of those interactions with a lot of those people and and I've kept a lot of those on. Well, because, Bert, you know, when I travel with you guys, right, you could arrive at a hotel at 2 in the morning and there's a bunch of people, not a bunch, but anybody who was out there looking for autographs, they'd have the album, the, you know, you know the, the album there and all the cards, and you just thought, I don't think this guy is a fan. He's working and trying to make money off your signature. Did it take a long time to differentiate those kind of guys? Like, hey, you know what, you love to if you can, but at some point that's not meaning as much to someone yeah, who well, that's, it's a Saturday yeah, afternoon, Perry, right? Yeah, Perry, that was, that, that's what I was trying to get to. It's like there's some, there's some people that are doing it for a living and uh, they're pretty aggressive and they make sure that they get in their way. And it's not one signature. It's one, two, three, four, five, and six and all that. And I think if you ask any and every hockey player, you go from city to city, you know exactly what what these uh, what the people look like. You, 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 recognize you know them. what the people look like. I recognize. I can still pick them out and recognize them in and all over Vancouver in the city. I, I know exactly uh, the, the people throughout the years who've come in and, and do that. And, and, and so be it. They're, that's their job and that's what they do. And all I'm saying that sometimes it, it, you end up missing a handful because of situations like that where you're like, okay, I just signed one. Why should I be signing 15? Where you just get frustrated and you, you end up missing a true fan or someone wants to be there. And unfortunately that happens. And unfortunately it, it doesn't look good at times. And, and, and I'm sure they let it be known, but, uh, but I'll tell you right now that I've met some incredible fans along my way. Uh, I want to share with you, Ian McIntyre, our uh, Sportsnet Canucks insider was, <coughs> was on uh, with reach deep last week and shared a story about you as a young player and I remember you telling me this story, and maybe you can elaborate on this, but I want to play this for you. Here's Ian McIntyre last week sharing an anecdote about uh, a young Todd Bertuzzi here. You remind me of an amusing Todd Bertuzzi story, which you can ask him about sometime. But he was so fond of carrying the, the uh, puck with one hand on his stick that I believe it was his junior coach, this was before the NHL, taped his second hand to his stick so that he could not (laughs) let go with one hand, hold off the opponent with his left, and keep his right hand on on the stick. He had literally his second hand taped to his stick. 
That's a true story, right? Was that Bill of Forge or who was that? I'd love to say it's because I drank too much. It's the only way to keep me upright. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was it was Bill LaForge that ended up doing that because I don't know what it was. I actually, I don't even know. I, haven't, I should probably ask my dad, but I spent pretty much my whole career uh, stick handling and holding my stick with one hand. Um, I always found it funny when we were doing bag skates, the guys would be skating with two hands in their stick and going back and forth. And they thought that that was the quickest way they could get there. I was always one hand on my stick. I felt and I worked on it, making my left hand as strong as I could possibly to hold on defenders and all that. And I just thought it was it was a weapon of mine in order to be able to protect the puck from a farther uh, amount away than other other people can with two. And it ended up working for me. But yeah, I remember going to the rink, and he had enough of it. So Bill Forge brought me in, and he literally taped both my hands to the to the stick as as much tape as you could possibly put on it. And I had to go through practice uh, with two hands uh, attached to my uh, attached to my stick, and obviously it wouldn't have been a good practice because uh, I don't know. That's just the way, I don't know what it was. <laughs> that's just the way it was. I love. I'm sure it drove every coach crazy. Like I would catch rocket passes with one hand on my stick, just on in tight. I scored a handful of goals as defensemen are at the, their blue line, and I'm stretched out, and I would cut across and literally have one hand on my stick and open my legs and catch that slap pass with one hand and be able to go. I, it's, I work a lot of the strength on my wrists and all that kind of stuff because I thought it was an asset for me to be able to separate myself from the other players. And I'll be honest with you, it worked well for me. Well, it did. And if people don't – essentially, Bert, if I take it to a football analogy, you used – it was essentially your straight arm, Right. I mean, you could a, you could yeah, fend people was, off yeah, with your left arm. arm. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Well, all the guys in Detroit they call it a stiff arm, or I'd call it the Heisman. I'd throw it out yeah. there and try to put my left my left hand right through his chest to try to knock him over or push him over. I think if you go back and look at old clips and all that, that you can see a lot of uh, the reason why I did it. It was for separation. And for a big dude, you need to find as much speed as possible. And I, I still think I was pretty freaking quick for a big dude at 245. But it was any way that I could uh, make myself quicker and get into spots quicker. And I thought it was executing with one hand on my stick. I just felt that my stride was better. I can get there quicker and then uh, just be able to push opponents on. Yeah, so it was a stiff arm. It was a Heisman. Guys would call it all the time, but I would spend pretty much 90% of my time in practice and all that working on uh, working on that with my one hand. I guarantee you there are so many Canucks fans listening right now that will remember you as a defining image of you taking the puck or going to the net and holding you know, a defender's stick, just shielding it taking the puck you know, and, and carrying the puck with one hand. Uh, so many times that image cutting to the net. Uh, that was fun this morning. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, nice to catch up. Stay safe out there, all right? Yeah, you guys be safe. Have a good week, okay? You had your own hey, by the way, buddy. By the way, you forgot, hey, you forgot to wish me. Happy Thanksgiving. Come oh, on. happy Thanksgiving. I, I just said happy Thanksgiving. What are you doing? Oh, uh, Perry, sorry, man. I, I'm, I'm a little bit quick today, a little bit irritated right now, but uh, thank you. I appreciate that, Perry. Steve Ball, thanks too. I thought, late, it was can- I, thought it, I, I thought it was canceled this year. No, it's on Thursday, and she didn't cancel. You can't cancel <laughs> happiness. 
No, you Take can't, care, buddy. Happy Unless turkey. you're watching a Lions game on Thursday, Bert. That might cancel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a burn. All right, boys. See you, pal. There you he is. Dodd Bertuzzi on Bertuzzi here on Sportsnet 650. From one great personality to another, Sonia Aslam from News 1130 in the house. And the voices of reason have listened in the North Shore. <laughs> Christmas has been saved, Sonia. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah, no. uh, yeah, so this is this really uh, silly bylaw that they were trying to pass last night, but it didn't because there was such backlash. Um, the District of North Vancouver wanted to enact a bylaw that said that you can't have any Christmas lights on after 11 p.m. I'm sorry. It's so <laughs> weird. So um, we actually, I actually got the story first yesterday. Yep. I'm on the new Christmas lights you beat. You broke it? I broke it. I'm on the Christmas lights beat. So nice. um, we they were, there was tons of backlash last night. They had the meeting. People were freaking out. Like, this is stupid. The year already sucks. Why are you taking away our lights? And they had said it's under a nuisance bylaw. Because there has been two complaints of too many lights over the last five years so it came up for discussion and they were going to start finding people i i, I guess i could see wow. that, look I, I mean i i thought it was ridiculous when i heard the story yesterday and i thought my mm-hmm. my goodness like you know th- you're actually going to discuss this in council tonight but I, I would say this like if you're the neighbor who lives across the street from like Clark griswold, griswold like yeah n- like mm-hmm. you know next level like there are some people that go Above and beyond. Like, I like Christmas lights, man. I like dressing it up for the Christmas holidays. But, man, there's like a next level where, you know, if it's to the point where you got a spotlight shining in your house. (laughs) Okay, I get that, you know. I'm getting Seinfeld vibes of the Kenny Rogers episode. Yeah, like Kenny Rogers roasters. Yeah, exactly. Kenny... curtains, they are closed. No. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think for the most part, right? Like, Sonia, you're in the Tri-Cities. There's a great yeah. house in Poco. Yeah. There's a one in Kensington. Like, those, a lot of them, and they're asking for donations. Mm-hmm. I would say at one point, the owners of that probably want to shut it down by 11 because of the hydro bill they're going to be playing. Not but... if you're using LED. I... Also well, yeah, I guess that's a new world now, too. Yeah, right, but boy, for, yeah. Also, it's I mean, 2020. Can we just let this Christmas. slide? Can we yes. just let lights stay on? We have nothing to hang our hats on right now. Can we just please leave the lights on past 11? Um, and also, what, two complaints in five years? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. guess, great, you guys take complaints seriously. But really, really, there's nothing else going on on the North Shore that this is what you're talking about? Well, who's the clown who brings that forward to begin with? Like, hey, you know what? I think we need to have this discussion right about now. Also, if your neighbor's lights are too bright, why don't you go over there and be like, hey, Bob, could you tone it down a bit? Not, I'm going to call the cops and I'm going to go to city council. Like, really? Really? Yeah, but if you're Bob, then go to that neighbor and go, sorry about that, and buy him sunglasses. Go, hey, man. Well, that's what, like, um, what do you call those those, uh, night masks people wear in their eyes? You know, put 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 an eye mask on when you go to sleep. Get some blackout yeah. curtains. I don't know. There's always a way around it. It's only for a couple weeks a year. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, cases uh, still over 1,900 over the weekend, Sonia. Yep. Um, I mean, we we've been kind of a little over two weeks since the restrictions first came in place. Like, are we are we seeing any signs that there's we're going in the right direction here or the wrong direction? Wrong direction. Uh, Fraser Health was doing okay for a couple of days in terms of cases, but they've mm-hmm. exploded once again. They're over 67% for all the cases over the weekend are in Fraser Health. Um, and Vancouver Island is seeing a lot as well now. And the scary thing, as I say, I know we had 17 deaths as well, but the numbers in the hospital are high, high, yeah. high, high. 50 more people ended up in the hospital this weekend. And uh, ICU numbers are still too high 
And, you know, Dr. Bonnie Henry, who's been the voice of reason so far, um, said finally yesterday, like, look, the next two weeks are incredibly important and they're very critical. And um, it will help determine if businesses and schools stay open. So this wow. is the time to get your act together because we just can't afford to keep spreading this virus. And you know what? What I kind of think, and, you know, Seaball, this applies to you because you got young kids. It's, you know, is school, is winter break going to be extended? Are we going to go into it early? Is that an option? Yeah. I just don't want to homeschool again, Sonia. <laughs> Send them over to Perry. Perry, you, you could <laughs> yes. great at homeschooling. Uh, no, I'd be great. Yeah, we'll go on nature walks. We'll do all that. Hey, Aslam, <laughs> answer what our, uh, we're getting everybody uh, on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, okay. Your first ever encounter with an athlete or somebody, you go, wow, that was something else. Uh, I My very first professional athlete I met, I was a child. Uh, in Nanaimo, and I met Jeff and Russ Courtnell, and I wow. was ecstatic. <laughs> because I, Where'd you, know, you meet them? Uh, they were doing a signing at like a Savon or something. And so my dad found out and uh, obviously huge Canucks fan since I was, uh, you know, a kid, uh, same height, different age. And uh, we went and I was, you know, I was really cool in the car, like, oh, it's fine. I'll be cool. And then as we got closer and closer to the table, I started getting more and more nervous. And they were super nice. They were super nice. We, they signed, I forget what I took, but they signed it and we took a photo and you know, it was nice. It was great. It's funny how you get nervous in those moments, right? I, I, I have well, to like say, eight. yeah. Well, no, no. But even yeah. like, even yeah, even as an eight-year-old, you're getting closer and you're shy and you're nervous, but you're mm -hmm. excited. It's. I remember actually a couple of years ago talking to Jeff Cortnell, and I, I had to give him the, you know, when we were still allowed to high-five people, but right. it was, uh, you know, because he had dated Sarah McLaughlin for a while, and I was just really. Like, well done. Well done. Yes. Did you not know that? No, that's yeah. random. Like, Look at well the hot done. goss, yeah. you guys. Yeah, Look at yeah. that. <laughs> no, they had a place in Tofino, I think. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they had, they spent some. Yeah, they were together for a while. I was like, well done. So, uh, nice job, Aslam. <laughs> you take care and uh, say hi to Jeff and Russ for me. Oh, okay? I will. Thanks, guys. You take care. There she Later. is uh, from News Eleven Thirty. Uh, Sonia Aslam. So Christmas has been saved on the North Shore. Uh, Twenty six minutes after seven o'clock here on Sportsnet six fifty. Uh, much more. We'll take more of your uh, submissions as you uh, the first athlete or sports personality you ever encountered on the Dunbar Lumber text line six fifty six fifty. A lot of those pouring in this morning. Plus the latest on when the NHL. We'll get back to playing. We'll hear from Elliot Friedman as well. It's all still ahead here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 731, Sabolski, Solkowski, and a reminder this hour of the starting line of his presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Beater Street in Vancouver or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, we'll hear from Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet Hockey Insider, in a quick moment on where things sit right now with the disconnect between the players and the NHL as we continue to wait for news on their return to play. But uh, we've also been taking submissions uh, from so many of you listeners this morning on your first ever encounter with a sports personality or athlete um, at some point in your life. And I'll tell you what, Chandler Tate sent one in here, Pear. Uh, he sent this to me on Twitter at James Sabalski. And how about this one? Uh, he was working at, as, a, as a busboy at Club Vodka in downtown Vancouver when the Grizzlies were in town. I'm walking mm. through the bar with an outstretched hand above my head carrying the bus pan. The bus pan sails past at eye level at one Mr. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
He oh, looks no. down at me because how often does anything catch his eye level, right? And to which Chandler looks at Kareem and says, that's right, you and me, one-on-one, anytime. They both had a laugh, and Chandler went back to work. But, you know, I, I started watching ball because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, so I, I really appreciate that story. As, and it sounds like Kareem appreciated the moment as well. Well, the great thing, here's the wonderful thing about our country. It's small, right? So to drink out of a great cup, there's quite a few people who have done that. A Stanley Cup, if you're lucky enough in some of those cities, you've had it because it's always around, right? So I appreciate those stories when it's it's the obscure athlete, right? Um, but it, it's amazing. Keep the text coming on the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. Uh, Dave from Victoria says, you guys are going to love this. It's Morrison and Jovo. Jovo on every Wednesday. He'll join us tomorrow at 7. Morrison on with Scotty every Thursday. They were super mean to me at Malone's back in the day <laughs> when Malone's was on fire in the 2001-ish. We got led into the party because we were athletes at UBC. Ever since, I have forgiven them. They were having a season wrap-up party on the patio and later inside. Everyone was wasted. Bert was cool. Alt was cool. Murph was there. Who knows, Perry, you might have been there. Ha <laughs> ha. Dave from Victoria. Here's the one thing I would say about that, because Morrison and Jovo are as nice as you get. Oh, yeah. But sometimes when it's a function, right, just for them, and then it's infiltrated a little bit, you're going, oh, who are these guys, man? Like, it's this isn't a meet the fans, because, uh, you know, BMO and Jovo are the farthest things as polite as you get. But there it is. First impression, right? They had that. They even go, ah, they weren't that cool to us. So funny to see. Totally. Uh, speaking of Jovo, uh, Scott from Calgary, we visited our family friend's place in West Van, and to my shock and awe, there was Jovo who lived right next door to them. I was literally too starstruck to ask for an autograph, but the next time I met that family, I gave them my Jovo rookie card to ask him for a signature, probably the most valuable card I had. I remember doing a story at Jovo's place uh, at that at that residence in West Van. That was a spectacular house. <laughs> Um, I remember Eddie even got a joking a few years ago that he, he should have hung on to that one, uh, given how much uh, real estate prices have climbed here. So uh, keep those submissions coming in here at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. A lot of them continue to pour in. We'll get to some more of those shortly. But Elliot Friedman on um, was on our sister station, uh, Sportsnet 960, the fan in Calgary last night. And and he, he kind of addressed where things sit right now, uh, pair with respect to the disconnect after the NHL had asked the players to make more concessions, here's what Elliot had to say on the players' anger right now. One of the things that, that has them upset is that if they knew that this was going to be an issue, why did it come up so late? Mm-hmm. You know, why didn't it come up earlier? And uh, I know I've had a couple of players say that to me specifically. Um, you know, I, I just think that I just think, you know, I just think what it comes down to is they're frustrated because they signed a deal and it was very recent and and now it's, it might be changed. And I just think that it's as simple as that. So, yeah, I think it, yeah. I mean, where, where was, where was this maybe in say September to give us a heads up, right? Like this has really kind of come up more, or at least this comes up formally now in like mid to late November, and it's kind of like, well, why now, right? If this was such an urgent issue, 
you know, where where did the where was this in say September when you kind of saw things trending in in the opposite direction? But I think you know the spike has really kind of I think any sort of hope that things were going to change has have kind of gone backwards here. It, it's probably been more this month that we've kind of really recognized that uh, this is not good right now, Pear. Well, far be it for me to defend Gary Bettman, but any commissioner, anybody talking in the summertime, they would say this is what we hope to do, but we don't know. We don't know. So you can't make decisions. You can't make agreements in August and say, hey, this is what we'll do in January because you don't know what was going to happen. You know, we thought we, we we're the toast of the town. Dr. Bonnie, New York Times, we're ruling B.C. We got it under control. Now we've lost control. We didn't see that coming. Uh, I'll say this about the NHLPA, uh, you know, and you and I got into it last week. They won't play January 1st. And I'm saying it's Christmas. And to me, it's not just Christmas. They need to win something in this negotiation. They aren't going to win the fact that they got to give a lot of money back and defer a lot of back. That's just the bottom line of dollars and cents. They will not win that. And it was at this point last week, they were furious. They've had to calm down because there's no alternative. So what do they win? Well, they might win a different start date, 15th, maybe the first. And that's when we played the clip before in the, in the sports cast. Maybe they win more teams in the playoffs because how is an owner where you're crying, we have no money, do you stay away from going, you know what we can do? We can add more teams to the situation at a time, James, when we don't know, but possibly if they're playing hockey in May and June and take it to July, a vaccine's in here and you might be able to get 10,000 people in there to create more revenue. So you know what? I think that's where the owners are going to have to give. And as soon as they start to give a little bit that the players want, we get this thing settled. But it, uh, you know, how could you say in July this is what the scenario was going to be in the end of November? We just didn't know that. Well, and it's funny, you, you, you exactly hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, what Friedman was kind of addressing in terms of what you'd be looking at if you're a player, the concessions that maybe the owners can make if there are any concessions to be able to be made. But here's Elliot uh, on what if he was a player he'd be asking. Like one of the questions actually I've been asked a bit in the last couple of days is what concession are the players going to get for if they agree to defer money or whatever mm-hmm. they decide to do? And, you know, I don't know the answer to that question because I don't think the league is in a really big position to offer financial concessions. Like if they're coming and saying, you know, we're offering $300 million, we need $300 million to be cut from this thing next year. You're not really in a position where you can make financial trade-offs. And one of the things I've said is if I was a player, Pat, I'd be asking for expanded playoffs. You know, they're about, they're, they're about to do um, a new TV deal in the U.S. Wouldn't an expanded playoffs make the deal more valuable? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't networks want that? I know our network would want that. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I'm a player and I understand that the regular season is, um, I understand the regular season, it's 16 teams make it. And right now 15 don't, and it makes it hard and it, it protects the sanctity of your regular season. I get all that. But if we're all concerned about revenues here, why don't you expand the playoffs? I mean, there'll be more games that are meaningful. Um, you know, teams really believe the teams that want the playoffs to be expanded, they say that one of the things that happens is if they miss the playoffs, they make less money on season ticket renewals and things like that. Okay, put more teams in. 
Um, if I was a player, I'd be demanding that. And and I think there's a lot of logic to that, Bear, right? Uh, but the question mm-hmm. is, is, and that's probably the one that I think the NHL can offer up, right? Because I think the point that, that he, you know, Elliot also makes is, you know, I don't know if the owners are in a position to make a lot of concessions right now because of the fact that they're losing all this money, right? So what can you offer financially? You know what? More playoff revenue. And when you've got a new broadcast deal that's on the line being dangled to potential broadcasters in America right now, what's enticing? Playoff games, meaningful games. That might be something to sell. And, yes, our owners, the guys who sign our checks, the hockey, the broadcast deal in this country at Sportsnet, yes, I think we'd overwhelmingly welcome that. I uh, Gary Bettman's argument has always been, and it was going into the summer when we was asked, you know, do you think you may take something out of this uh, summertime hockey in this tournament that you move forward? Playoffs? No, I don't think so. I think uh, 16 teams in the postseason uh, makes our season mean something. I'm not a believer of uh, meaningless games in the regular season. Guess what? You have to change your tune. You have to change the tune you're singing. If you're asking the guys in the choir to change what they're doing, they have the right to say, I'd like to sing a different song. Else I don't want to sing at all. And I believe they're, they're right because the players have to walk away when they go play hockey in January in whichever situation. That Well, what did we get for this? Or did we just get hammered down on and told to give more money back and told that we're going to go into respective bubbles possibly? Like, we gave up for no money. We went into a bubble and had to stay there for some of us six, seven weeks. That was tough mentally on us. But we did that for the good of the game. We didn't get paid. We don't get paid in the playoffs. So you're telling us we're not making money, and we're saying, guess what? We'll play. Yeah, we'll extend it. We don't mind playoff hockey. How do they say no when at the end of that equation, there's dollars to it, and that's what they're looking for? So maybe we do finally see a change. I think it would be welcome. I it doesn't bother me. Hey, we will talk about meaningless hockey games when it's the 43rd game of the year anyways because it's the dog days. And you go, hmm, what does it mean? But to be in a playoff race, to see those play-in games that we had against Minnesota, every hockey fan would be on board for that. No question about it. I mean, like more meaningful games. I think we can all agree we'd sign up for that. Hence, the I think, the excitement for the Canadian division on this side of the border. All right, 743, your Canucks commute coming up at 8 o'clock. We'll talk to uh, Sportsnet's Dan Murphy, and uh, we'll dive into the Vancouver Canucks coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Also, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. A lot of great submissions coming in. Your first encounter with an athlete or in sports personality, a lot of them as well, on Twitter at, at Sportsnet650. Get those submissions in. We'll share some of these stories and go down memory lane next here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 748. Uh, pair lots of reports over the last like 12 hours. Um, reports that several members of the Vegas Golden Knights organization have tested positive for COVID. Uh, also uh, now. Um, members of the Blue Jackets have tested positive. A significant number of Columbus Blue Jackets have tested positive for COVID-19 over the last 7 to 10 days. Uh, obviously, we saw the Baltimore Ravens yesterday. A few members of the organization, they're testing positive for COVID, and they got a big game coming up on Thursday. Um, and now we're also hearing, I think, the Dallas Cowboys as well. 
Um, also canceled practice due to non-COVID uh, medical uh, emergency. Uh, and so <laughs> that it's all happening apparently uh, in these last 12 hours. Well, and, you know, whenever hockey does start again in January, and who knows where we are with the vaccine, but I think we will see that infiltrated into the NHL with players missing games because um, I tell you, here we are. What are we getting set for week 12? Um, it's all a blur when it comes to the NFL. But with, I think maybe we've had two game changes from a, where early on we had a Monday night or a Sunday move to a Tuesday. So we've had a couple Monday, Tuesday games. They've been able to get through it. Um, but it does seem the norm, James, that at some point during the week, we are talking about an NFL facility that's shut down, but yet players end up and they end up playing. And now as NHL players start to skate, maybe we saw it with the Stanley Cup champions, right? Tampa was that first team where they had to shut their facility down before the bubble tournament started. Um, and you get okay. I mean, it, it, it's I hate to say it's par for the course, but in the world of sports, it seems daily that something's getting shut down and whether it's the zoom meetings and they made a very good point uh, with the Raiders game on Sunday night. The fact that those guys weren't going to the facility and actually had to shut it down for two or three days might not be the worst thing for NFL players because of the abuse they put their body through. Sure. Um, but at the same time, like when you've got games, like look at the Cowboys, right. And you know, in the situation where you're two days away from, you know, on a short turnaround, having another yeah. game, um, you know, how does that impact, you know, how does it impact the Baltimore Ravens as well, where mm -hmm. they've got, you know, um, they they got a big one against the perfect Pittsburgh Steelers coming up Thursday. Um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, but it's also a reminder, like it's out there, you know, and this is why there are still the struggles to try to get back and figure out an answer and a solution for the National Hockey League, right? We're 38, uh, what, 28 days away from the NBA tipping off. Um, but still no sign of the NHL announcing that they're ready to go. Um, and I think that January 1st start date, or the hope for it, is looking less and less likely the longer it takes to ultimately reach an agreement here, Pear. Yeah, no, we'll see if uh, we'll see if it gets done. I, I, am, I don't think anything happens with the NHL because it is uh, Thanksgiving Thursday down there, and I think we'll see something this league getting it hammered out early next week, find out what the concessions are. Maybe it's more playoff games. Find that date. I don't think that date is January 1, like, you know, Commissioner Bettman wants, and he usually gets what he wants. So the players don't want to concede and give him that concession. Make it the middle of January, and then we're set to play hockey with, the you know, COVID looming over. But uh, I'm excited about it because I, I think everyone's ready to go from a player perspective. And as much as we talk about rivalries, to see the Canadian teams in the state they are right now, we talk to Anthony Stewart, and you look at that Leafs lineup, go, okay, they're going to be good. We know the natural rivalry with Calgary. They'll get it done. Everyone we've talked to and the insider, Elliot, is, is part of that leading the way. There's knowing that's unsure that they will play hockey. And that's the positive, James, we can take on this Tuesday. They're going to play hockey. It's just when do they officially drop that puck? Uh, speaking of positives, a lot of great uh, submissions and stories oh, uh, going down yeah. memory lane this morning. Uh, who was the first uh, athlete or sports personality you met on the Dunbar Lumber text line at Sportsnet650 as well on Twitter? 650-650 as a text line. Uh, how about this story? Uh, this one from Aaron. Uh, Montreal Canadiens alumni played the Calgary Flames in a small town in Alberta where I grew up. I was only about five or six watching them uh, warm up, and the refs skated over to talk to my dad and I. He gave me his autograph, smiled, and skated off. 
I had no idea at the time who Maurice Richard was, but I can still vividly remember the entire interaction. The Rocket. That's awesome. Oh, you like that. Uh, Harriet's dad uh, tweeted us, and I love it when it's something obscure, right? Vladislav Tretiak. He dropped into a goaltending clinic that his brother was attending. He said he was in awe. He was kind, gracious, and larger than life. You know, I, I mentioned I'm reading Burke's Law, Berkey's book, and he's talking about Pat Quinn and the bringing Pavel Burry over. But part of the deal with the with the Russian hockey was to kind of share some things, and one of them was teaching. And Tretiak was around here quite a bit in Vancouver. So that must have been where he met him. I was at the closing ceremonies of the 88 Calgary Olympics. And I'm just sitting there, and, and my girlfriend at the time, her father, was involved in the Olympic Committee in Calgary. So a good seats. Hey, we're at the closing ceremonies. Katie Lang is playing. Not paying much attention. It's cold. It's February in Calgary. But then I look behind me as you're just taking it all in, and there's a big guy in the fur coat. Are you kidding me? Yeah, borrow your camera. That's Vladislav Tretiak sitting behind us. So I'd seen him afterwards when I got into the business. But, yeah, good on you, Harriet's dad. Tretiak at a goaltending clinic. That's great. You know, actually, it's funny. Uh, Sean McCormick, a former sports page host, um, he, I think, attended a goalie clinic with Tretiak when, when he was a kid. Sean was a goalie playing minor hockey in Edmonton. And really? I think, uh, yeah, and I think Tretiak, if I remember, if memory serves me correct, I'll, I'll, I'll try to verify that. But, it, uh, yeah, I think he's got a picture with Tretiak from, like, mid-'80s, which was like, what the hell? Um, how about this bursting a bubble? Somebody texting in the uh, 96. I caddied for Martin Jelena at a Canucks golf tournament at Coyote Creek. After the round, all the other Canucks were giving their caddies, all junior members, 100 to $200 tips. Martin wrote down my name and address and promised he'd send me some swag. I waited patiently and excitedly, and nothing ever came. What a guy. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. <sighs> That's oh. a tough one. Uh, you know, I had, uh, uh, I've told the story before. I, I uh, moderated an event in Bossy or and Cassie Campbell there. And then Bobby signed a bunch of autographs afterwards. And I had to get one for a friend's son. So I did. And he said, do you want one? I got, no, no, you know, this was great. Uh, but he said, give me your business card. And I didn't think much of it. But the lady in charge months later said, did you ever get anything for Bobby? I go, yeah, I never even. You know, no, that was great. What I got was a, a, you know, a night with Bobby Orr sitting beside him on the dais. But then, uh, then came not like Martin Jelena. He was true to his word, and I got a great autograph poster and and uh, a, a really nice saying that uh, sits with pride. Once in my office, now just somewhere in a box because uh, I've lost control of all things. But you no, know, it's great. And you know what? How important it is. You're a junior guy. You see all your buddies getting money, and Jelena says, "I'll give it to you." Oh, Marty, you're better than that, man. That hurts. First impressions. Uh, uh, some other, uh, we were just talking about some of the teams uh, being impacted by COVID-19 here, Pair. Uh, it looks like uh, the Canadian World Junior Team, we already talked about how Vancouver Giants uh, head coach and Team Canada assistant uh, Michael Dick is having to uh, isolate and quarantine for 14 days. Uh, we're just coming down here this morning that uh, reports suggest that uh, Team Canada World Junior uh, canceling their scrimmage today, and it could mm. possibly be COVID-related. So, um, you know, that bubble was compromised already in the last few days. Nothing confirmed just yet, but there are reports now that um, Team Canada now canceling their scrimmage set for this afternoon. Um, 
possibly no confirmation that it could be COVID-related, so we'll keep you apprised on that. Your Canucks commute just around the corner. Dan Murphy dropping by for the conversation as well here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Spicing up your morning drive with the Canuck commute. I spent pretty much my whole career uh, stick handling and holding my stick with one hand. Um, I always found it funny when we were doing bag skates, the guys would be skating with two hands in their stick and going back and forth, and they thought that that was the quickest way they could get there. I was always one hand on my stick. This is the starting lineup with James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski. It's your Canucks commute here on this uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, there's Todd Bertuzzi uh, weighing in on, uh, I think, uh, a visual that so many Canucks fans can remember. The one hand on the stick for Big Bird uh, during those West Coast Express days. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski with you. Dan Murphy will join us here in just a few minutes as we continue to wait for the puck to drop on the National Hockey League, it is kind of hockey season, man. And, and you know, there's a blanket of snow across most of this country right now, Pear, outside of, kind of outside of our little bubble, if you will, here in Metro Vancouver and on the island. Man, like, most of the places have snow. Like, you know, even right now, like, you look over the north, you look at those North Shore mountains right now, nicely dusted on the top, you know, all kind of waiting for, you know, ski season and hockey season. But the NHL and the Players Association squabbling over money right now, and it's not a good look. Well, listen, I think you use the sports calendar uh, to really set your focus. So to me, the focus is the playoffs once the Masters is over, and that was a couple weeks ago. And now the focus is on regular season games now that the Grey Cup is over with, and that was just past weekend. So, yeah, I can understand why we're all set for hockey. You're right, man. It is winter everywhere. A lot of backyard rinks are going up across the country. Um, but they have to get a deal done. And I don't think the concern for most involved is, you know, Bettman's not going to sleep going, these guys, uh, they may not come back to work. And I don't think any NHL player is going to bed and talking to his wife or buddies going, no, I might not be playing hockey in February. It's just finding a balance. And to me right now, it's the NHL PA and their 700 plus members going, okay, how can we win on any of this? A, you can look at it. We signed something with them in the summertime and now they're telling us that's not good enough and they want more. And yeah, logically we can understand that we didn't know what the world would look like here in November. But there's got to be something for us. They want to play January 1st. Do we want to do that? Can we maybe play more games in the playoffs? There's got to be a couple of carrots that the NHLPA has to win. And that's where Gary Bettman, as he has done throughout his tenure as a commissioner, no, 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 no. And then finally, go, oh, here's, here's a little carrot for you. Let's get this done. And I, I think we will find that spot by next week, James, that they figure this whole thing out. Well, you basically have a day and a half or so, right, to, to figure something out sooner rather than later if you want to try to get this done before uh, the beginning of December in terms of getting all your ducks in a row because now you're looking at, you know, U.S. Thanksgiving's coming up on Thursday. So yep. you basically have today. It's almost lunchtime already in the East and New York offices for the National Hockey League. And so now you got a half a day to deal with. Tomorrow, I'm sure people will be traveling in the U.S. or just getting ready for holiday plans because Thursday is obviously a holiday, and I, I can't imagine anybody really wanting to work, you know, over the holiday weekend. Uh, so you wait till next week, and guess what? A week from today, it's December 1st. So yep. if you're looking at trying to get training camps up and running, 
Um, that's a lot to try to navigate, and you know, think about how trying to get so many Canucks back here, right? And you're gonna, there's going to be an expectation for guys to have to quarantine or isolate for the two weeks, right? And to try to get this all organized. But now you look at, hey, cases are spiking. Um, we're we're hearing reports now of how the Vegas Golden Knights. There's at least four members testing positive there. There's a significant number over the last week or so with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, you've got to be able to adjust and make up some of these games. That's the other thing. The urgency to try to, you know, drop the puck sooner rather than later pair on this Canucks season, you know, to allow for the notion that, hey, look, somebody's going to test positive. You know, you're going to lose guys over the course of the season. We've seen in the NFL, and they've been able to, to run through the season pretty efficiently. Major League Baseball. Man, there were teams that had played almost a week's less worth of games until they finally made that up and they pulled it off. But you need to allow yourself some of that wiggle room to make up some of these games. Yeah, and with the conversation of the vaccine getting closer, I mean, January and February games may not be as daunting, but there is also a finish line to this where there wasn't last year. You go, well, if we got to finish in September, we'll finish late September. Uh, you know, uh, hanging over it, if everything goes according to norm, there will be an Olympics. And that Olympics means that NBC, who has the hockey rights down south, uh, has to start broadcasting those Olympic Games when they start a couple weeks into July. So there's your finish line for hockey. So you can't go oh, January 1st, January 15th, February, February 15th. No, every time you delay it, there's a finish line now. That means less and less. I think they'd like to get 60 games in if they get fewer then that's the situation. But there, there is a finish line, so they've got to nail down a start date. And I'm, I agree with you, James. Two days left before Thanksgiving weekend. It's not going to happen in the States, but they better have stuff in place and work hard to hammer it down next week. To your point, give players a couple weeks to arrive, give them a few weeks and a little Christmas break. That's why I think mid-January is when we see something start up. Let's bring in uh, Sportsnet's uh, Dan Murphy to the fold. Uh, good morning, Murph. Morning, fellas. How goes? Oh, you know, just another day in paradise. I, I, before we kind of dive in from a Canuck standpoint here with you, tell me this: uh, your first athlete or sports personality that you ever met uh, as a youngster at any point? Oh boy, first athlete that I ever met that would have been probably Bobby Leonard Doozy. Okay. You know, I've been early, like probably somewhere around. I don't know, going to a soccer. Uh, a Whitecaps soccer camp when I was younger. That probably was the first guy that I remember meeting. I remember meeting Glenn Hanlon not too long after that, too. So those have been the first two, I think, that uh, that I would have met that had any, you know, any sort of significance, at least, uh, around these parts. Oh, my God. I had a Bobby Leonard using poster on my wall as a kid, uh, you know, on the other side of the country. He was a rock star in those days. Um, does a short, Yeah. Uh, does, a short, does a shortened season benefit this young group of Canucks or does it work against them here for this season? You know, it's so hard to say, um, you know, I, I we still have to find out how this is going to work out. I don't think there's any way it's going to be 82. I know they've had some dreams about that, but uh, first off, let's be honest. I mean, the minute they have an agreement, then you're probably five weeks away from the season starting in my mind anyway, because you make the agreement, you give people, a week to get into their respective cities. Then you have the bubble quarantine groups, if they're allowed to do it the same way they were in the return to play the first time. So you got the guys coming in from Europe, they'll skate in their group. You got the guys coming from the States, they'll skate for their group and go back to their hotel rooms and, and quarantine. So you have that for two weeks. And then you probably need two weeks for 
your regular camp and uh, you know, one or two exhibition games. So I think you're looking at minimum five weeks from the moment they say, okay, our season is starting, say it's starting on the 15th of January. Well, then you'd need to know that by, you know, the, the 7th of December type of thing, I, I, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure how, what would benefit the Canucks. I, you know, I think the Nolikonite division is going to be tougher than what the Pacific would have been. Uh, I think that if you're looking at a team that probably took a step back, you'd have to say a shortened season uh, gives them a chance kind of get to get hot and maybe punch their ticket, uh, whereas a longer season might expose the flaws a little bit more. So the shorter, shorter sample size might you know, benefit a team that I don't think a lot of people have uh, massive expectations for at this point. Murph, would you know offhand, are, are many guys here, we heard the – the Braden Holpe tortoise story last week of yeah. making his way across the border. Are, are a lot of guys in Vancouver right now? I don't think. The last I heard, it was, I mean, obviously Edler lives here, and uh, Demko, McEwen, and Pedersen, I think, uh, were the main guys last week at least that were in town. I, I don't uh, believe any more have come in. Maybe they're they're on their way uh, to start working out here, but uh, the last I heard, it was just, uh, those four guys. Uh, now, Holby, on top of that, I'm not sure if he's going to be going down to the rink to skate or if he's got something else uh, set up, uh, but uh, I'll probably try to source that out this week. But, yeah, you know, just a, just a handful of guys in Vancouver so far. We've talked a lot um, about, obviously, you know, and kind of chuckling about the, the turtle story with Braden Holtby. <laughs> but you look at, you know, in all seriousness with Braden Holtby, you know, everything we've heard about what, what he is as a leader, a character guy, good addition to the room, you know, brings a Vesna, brings a Stanley Cup ring. You know, obviously the organization bought low on him given the, the last couple of seasons, but, you know, what happens if Braden Holtby finds Braden Holtby's game again? Like, what does that look like for the Canucks? You know, because I, I don't think it's inconceivable that Braden Holpe, and I think a lot of people look at it with the optimism going, you know what, I think Braden Holpe could totally be due for a, b- a bounce back, working with Ian Clark, and, you know, can he find his game again? Like, what happens if Braden Holpe is, as much as we're excited about Thatcher Demko, I mean, if Braden Holpe finds the ceiling of his game, which is pretty damn high, Murph, what does that look like for the Canucks? Well, I'd say, like, even without knowing where his game is right now, I, I would still kind of say that I, I wouldn't be surprised if Braden Holtby, the Canucks see as their 1A at this point, the guy that's slightly sure. ahead of Thatcher Demko. And I, I don't find that hard to believe at all. Um, I do think that there will be a decent split considering it might be, you know, a shortened season games might be, you know, you might be going into play somewhere, you know, four games and six nights type of thing. You're going to need both guys. But, I, you know, I, not only do I not think it's impossible, I think it's probably uh, you know, conceivable that they view Holtby as, the guy who's going to have the one A job, um, you know, it's obviously like his, his numbers last year were were down, but you know the year prior not terrible, and the year prior to that was uh, the year he won the cup. But let's not forget he didn't go into the playoffs uh, as the the starter. That was Grubauer. He took it over after a couple of games. So, you know, I, I, best case scenario, Ian Clark helps him regain his confidence. He said that last year was tough mentally because he knew he'd be gone and he couldn't fight through that. So. I think a refreshed Braden Holtby with a new set of eyes on him. Um, you know, I think the ceiling is, is, you know, I think it's rather high. So, um, you know, that's best case for Vancouver that he's finds his game, that they have a reason to have him as 1A and 
let Demko still be 1B and still maybe make 35% of the start. So uh, I think there is a world where Holtby does regain his, his confidence and, and find the form of, you know, maybe just two, three seasons ago where he was still seen as one of the elite goaltenders in the league. I would be shocked if they don't have him penciled in as their number one goalie. I yeah, mean, it, it, I, I don't think he's coming here. If he doesn't think he has that job, he will be competing with that job. But it's just they buy a little more time for Thatcher Demko, and, and it won't be Demko playing 50. Well, who knows how many games they play. But I would think yeah. this is Brayton Holpies. But even when he's really good, he'll share it more than he would in a normal number one uh, number two rule. Murph, do you think we heard Elliot talk yesterday? And, and I, you know, I, I know you're spitballing like us that the concessions that the NHL has to give the players to get this thing across the finish line, one may very well be a change to the playoff format. Could be, you know, they're going to have to give something if they want to take something back from the original agreement, which wasn't that long ago. And that's why uh, players are a little miffed. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, at this point, it's negotiations again. Well, if we're ultimately going to give you more, uh, and that's not prorated salaries or anything like that, but uh, to hold more back, then we need to see something. Um, they're not going to give it for free. Um, you know, you do hear all this rhetoric out there. There's a number of owners now that would rather not play. And, you know, this is all the pressure. I'm sure there are a few, but these are all the pressure points to try to get something done and, and force the two sides to do uh, some sort of agreement to get it going because I think everybody believes that you can't have a loss season. I, I, I just don't think you can sit out a whole year. You've seen Major League Baseball get it done. Uh, the NFL has had a number of hiccups, but they continue to roll along for better or for worse. And I think you have to figure out a way to get uh, some sort of a season in and playoffs before the Olympics. So you know, for sure, the NHL, if they want the, to hold back more money, given the uh, you know, the fact that they're not going to have fans in the stadiums at the start of this thing anyway, uh, well, the player's going to want something in return. That's, you know, Elliot's far more tapped than me, but that makes sense. You know, and, and here's word coming down on Hockey Canada just issuing a statement moments ago here with respect to the uh, national junior team uh, selection camp going on right now in Alberta and Red Deer. Um, Hockey Canada confirming today that two players at the selection camp have tested positive for COVID-19. They've been placed in quarantine at the team hotel and so, I mean, this is what the NHL is going to have to deal with as well, right? Like, you're going to have to make sure that there's room in the schedule, you know. And I think it was obvious, Murph, as much as, you know, some of us enjoyed hockey, you know, and bubble, you know, watching the games, yeah. you know, at the same time, like, I think there were a lot of people that just weren't into watching summertime hockey. And yeah. they, like, they're going to have to get, like, they're going to have to get a contingency plan up here sooner rather than later. Um, and, and allow for situations like this that Team Canada is dealing with a month before the World Juniors start. Yeah, and the, and the logistics, too, there, James, too, that let's just say uh, the Canucks farm team remains in Utica to play games, which it sounds like. Um, are they going to allow an extra taxi squad for the Canucks, right? I mean, you can't afford to be all of a sudden finding out three guys have tested positive somehow mm-hmm. or quarantining and you need some bodies and you know, where are your reinforcements they're across the line that need you know two weeks to quarantine themselves so all these uh questions have to be answered and you know that's not necessarily great for development of some of these guys that are going to be sitting here waiting to play just in case someone gets uh a coronavirus but it's fascinating all these little different things you have to think about especially for the canadian teams that have those farm teams in the states 
Well, and, and that's the thing. We talk about the dollar issues and all that, but yeah, the, the farm teams, what are they playing back to back? Are they going to travel to different cities? Might they have different, uh, a scenario where you're, you're going to sit in a bubble for a little bit. I, I think that's kind of been pushed by the wayside, but you know, how long do you stay at home? And before you go, it, that's the one thing Murph, it seems they've been quiet about in the negotiations, but to me, that's the most important thing. You're going to have to travel with a bigger taxi squad than you normally would. Um, and, and it'll hurt development of some, but you can see them having eight, 10 guys going, well, we're just kind of the, for lack of a better word, like, like they have in the playoffs, the black aces that will be in and out of lineups. Yeah. And, and probably more so be out of the lineups. And that's why I think you need some more of those veteran kind of guys. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Bailey or, or players that have played in the league that you're not quite as concerned about development, you know, more what they are than say a, a coal in. So it'll be interesting to see how they allocate those spots and how many spots extra they're allowed. Um, and, and I'm still you know, very interested to see like, what is uh, the format going to be? Is it going to be four regional hubs at this point or, you know, kind of not super bubbles, but teams can go in and out depending on the, the, the testing protocols or are teams going to be allowed to play in their own buildings, uh, which I think a lot of owners want because they want to put some fans in at some point. Uh, all these things, um, I'm very interested to see how it plays out. And maybe you have a couple of milestones. Maybe you need to have regional hubs for the first month of the city and say, let's see how it goes, guys. And then we'll either extend that or we will allow you to go back to your home buildings. Maybe they start in home buildings and then have to readjust in case the numbers are big. Um, so as you guys have said, you have to, you need to leave yourself as much runway as possible. You need to get something done quickly to get these guys back in, to get set, get ready, and get the season going because I don't think there's any question there is going to be hiccups when it comes to the virus, uh, which is something they didn't have to worry about ultimately when they had the bubble in Edmonton and Toronto with, with the zero cases. I just don't think that's going to be the play here. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree with the, where you're coming from on that one. You, you touched on maybe some of the kids and what that looks like in terms of you know, a potential taxi squad and that. How many, like, I think we're all of the opinion that there's going to be a kid or a youngster that will join the mix on the back end in all likelihood uh, on that third pairing. What about up front, Murph? Like, who, who legitimately has a chance to stick? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if there's, considering all the contracts out there. Yeah, is, is there room? I don't think there is. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I do think that, I mean, I think your levy's on the team, and then you're looking at one of Chatfield, or Rafferty, or Rathbone, and maybe Chatfield, despite the fact he doesn't have a contract, is the guy with the, with the leg up because he's the right-hand shot, right? And he's more of a defensive guy, and you bring him in. Um, but up front, like, I, I know Lind made great strides last year. I just don't think that you're slotting these guys into this lineup now. Um, I think uh, best case is maybe midway point of the season you do see uh, Pod Colson. Now, you know, I, I guess there's a chance that once camp is called, Hoaglander blows the doors off you, and you think, heck, we need uh, to keep this kid around. But that's going to have to be a big decision too, right? Because maybe he just blows the door off your camp, and then all of a sudden you, you realize he's not ready. Well, um, can you loan him back to Sweden? Uh, would there even be time for that to happen? So yeah. these are all things you have to think about. But I, I think probably up front, you know, aside from multiple injuries happening, I think the first time we'll see some of these young guys might be built midway point of the season when, when maybe a, a pod Colson can come over after his KHL season is done. But you do think there's two on the blue line. Would that be Rafferty and Olevy? 
Well, I don't know if it's Rafferty, right? You, because you're going to have Nate Schmidt, by all indications, playing his offside, right? So yep. if you have Ulevi, um, are you going to have Ben play his offside on the third pair? I don't think you know, Travis Green wants that. And are you going to have, you know, I guess depending how he makes up the pairs, but um, I think you're going to need another right shot guy, and that's Chatfield. And, and Murph, so, Chatfield was the guy that everybody seemed to rave about in, in, in camp quietly, right? Like that was yeah. the name that constantly Travis Green referenced, Nolan Baumgartner referenced. Like the name that constantly came up was Chatfield. Yeah, but despite that fact, we never really saw him play, no. right? So, mm-hmm. uh, t- you know, tooted his horns quite a bit, but he, we never saw him play. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think a lot of people are very excited for uh, Rathbone and to have a peek at Rafferty after his outstanding rookie season. But I just think the right shot, left shot thing, especially now with you have a guy in Schmidt playing the offside, we know that Travis Green doesn't like to do that too much, and I don't think he'd be doing it with the young guys on the third pair. Well, nice to catch up with you, man. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. Thanks for going down memory lane with Bobby Leonard Doozy and Glenn Hanlon and, uh, and breaking bread uh, as we continue to wait for, uh, for the puck to drop. Um, I look forward to watching your nice scenic chat with uh, Ian McIntyre and the always handsome sat shot some point here in the next week or so as well. I just need a break in the weather, you know. I've just got to we got to call a quick time, run down and get it done before it pours on us. Stand under the umbrella and just wait, right? The ride is exactly. up. We got a break. Let's go. Let's shoot, shoot. Uh, thanks, Murph. All right, boys. Have a good Take day. Take care. You Later, as well. Uh, there you go. There's uh, Dan Murphy uh, on the latest uh, for the Vancouver Canucks uh, potential youngsters who could find a way into the mix for this upcoming season. And um, and the impact of Braden Holpe and, and what he could look like here going forward. Uh, 24 minutes after 8 o'clock, uh, why Louis Erickson is Vancouver's cat who came back. We'll explain that. Still ahead, what Seaball says, and no P.S. No B.S., just P.S. I'll get that straight right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You know, I was like to take this opportunity to talk about myself. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. Well, when you walk down the street or ride a SkyTrain and see an old-school Canucks name and number, it generally brings a smile to your face, a quick thought to a moment from that player before you go back to doom-scrolling on your phone or creeping on your Instagram feed. But one player who in all likelihood won't bring back those warm fuzzies will be Louis Erickson. I really hate you. Yeah, the man who might top the power rankings for the worst all-time signing in Canucks history is still on the team going into year five of his contract after a second straight offseason in which both he and the player and the team tried to mutually break up. Didn't happen. Nor will it, barring a miracle, which is about as likely as Donald Trump admitting he lost fair and square. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. No! Hell no! Erickson's future took an intriguing twist about 18 months ago when the underperforming vet suggested that he and Canucks head coach Travis Green don't really see eye-to-eye during an interview with the World Hockey Championship. Now, both sides explored a way out in the summer of 2019, but nothing materialized. Erickson's agent, J.P. Barry, appeared on Reach Deep yesterday and suggested that another attempt was made over the last six weeks. We've worked together pretty hard trying to find opportunities, but things pretty much, you know, went quiet here a few days after free agency in this business. Uh, I think just because of the uncertainty around the start of the season, there just really hasn't been 
Um, you know, I'm talking to GMs, there hasn't been a lot of trade discussions and there has, certainly hasn't been many negotiations. So really since probably a week into free agency, there's not been a lot of business going on in the NHL right now. It's understandable why there aren't any takers for Louie. Add in the fact that general manager Jim Benning has gone on record to insist he wasn't coughing up draft picks to move money out and appears we've hit a dead end. Essentially, the 35-year-old Erickson, who has mustered 38 goals in four seasons here, has become a modern-day version of a classic from the National Film Board of Canada. But the cat came back the very next day. The cat came back. They thought he was the gunner, but the cat came back. See, it's conceivable that Louis could be buried in the minors this year should the AHL drop the puck. But before we plan a social distancing Zoom call parade, consider this. Erickson's contract might actually turn out to be a win for an organization feeling the financial pinch like many clubs. See, Erickson's cap hit might have a robust $6 million hit, but it's only a million dollars in actual cash for the season. Add in the escrow and the salary deferral, and it might actually be closer to $700,000 or less. Look, you couldn't have predicted a pandemic of this proportion in January, let alone four years ago when the Canucks signed the veteran Swedish forward to a six-year deal worth $36 million. But the low cash hit might actually be a small victory in keeping Louie around this season. So brace yourself, fans, for another year of Louie the Cat. But the cat came back the very next day. The cat came back. They thought he was a goner, but the cat came back. He just couldn't stay, stay away. And that is this morning, Seaball says. You know, James, uh, you know, we had talked uh, for the offseason. You know, what's attractive about Louis Erickson? Well, not the money, but what might be attractive is the fact that you don't have to pay him a lot out of your wallet. And if you need to get to the floor, he carries that big cap hit. But in our conversation, like we just had with Murph, when you wonder what will the setup be as far as NHL teams and the ability to carry extra players? You know, let, let's go back to the bubble playoffs. And there you are, and you're looking at it up in the up in the stands, healthy scratches. Louis Erickson's there, Jake Vertanen's there, Zach McEwen, I believe, was there. And you thought, you know, if these guys get hurt with injuries, those aren't bad options. And Louis Erickson, for the first time, wearing Canuck uniform, yes, and who knows, he could be on the wing with Bo Horvat. He's not a bad option to get involved with again at the price that they have to pay him when they're counting their money. They've paid them already. Yeah, and that's, I, I mean, who knows what happens after this season, but I, I think if there was ever, if you want to find a silver lining in Louis Erickson and the burden that he has been on this organization and the fan base here through four full seasons, um, it's this year. You know, the fact that there's only a, a million dollars of actual cash. Now, look, they paid him handsomely for the last four years, but, you know, at a time where, you know, cash is something for teams and look i would say that the canucks are definitely a have organization in the national hockey league right like i think we're on the, of that opinion that they're probably a top 10 franchise in the national hockey league but you know you take fans out of the stands you know i'm sure they have felt it from a merchandise standpoint as well you know the impact that they have felt over the last eight months as many teams have 
like I, I'm sure it is a welcome contract right now that Louis Erickson, when you factor in the salary dis- deferrals and the escrow as well, pair like we're talking about a contract that, despite the six million dollar cap hit, you're looking at what might cost them closer to a half a million dollars in actual dollars this year. Yeah, and you know what you get, right? And I, I think maybe this fan base now. The expectation for Louis Erickson is he's not going to score the odd goal. The expectation is he'll score one in a while, and he'll be in good spots and good chances and fan on the puck. And he go, damn, Louis. But he'll be there, and he'll kill some penalties for you. He'll bump and grind like he should. Um, and so expectations are down as other players have come up. So yeah, Murph also makes a good point, too, about you know what, what is Holglander going to be? You know, we talked to one of his teammates back in the summertime, the young man, Cody, who's getting set to go for Anaheim uh, and, and, and be a rookie. We should get back to him, too. But it, the fact that Hoaglander has been so good, and maybe as a guy ready to go, maybe the Canucks do get two guys. Maybe Pud Colson, who's penciled in and will be set to go when he's done in the KHL, but Hoaglander's been playing hockey. Maybe he steps in and is so good that that becomes the most difficult decision the Canucks have to make. Going, do we keep this guy around and do we keep him around because he can travel and practice with us because we get to carry seven or eight more guys because of the Utica situation? Could be a bad thing going, let him go play organized hockey. But sometimes guys get better just by being around NHL players. So that may be another tough decision to make. And I think people would rather go, let's take the kid and give him Louis ice time and let him learn rather than Louis. But Erickson, at the price they have to pay him, um, he'll help this team rather than be a deterrent. If you're in player development, would you rather a young player practice all the time with the big club, or would you rather them play games all the time with the minor league club? I'd pro- I'd lean personally, I think, to the American League. I'd rather them playing games as opposed to just practicing. If you have that American League, but essentially, is this not a question we have every year come middle of October when you're looking at a rookie who's impressed, you go, okay, this is his ninth game. He plays another game. He's here for good. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do, right? I think that'll be the same conversation you may have with Hoaglander. Yeah, I I mean, I would would just say that in a situation with Hoaglander, you know, is he he going to play or is he not? And I think we just heard from Dan Murphy a few minutes ago where Murph kind of suggested, like, I don't know if there's room with, with the contracts and you know, I think you're already committing to putting, you know, Sven Berchi down in the minors. I guess it's conceivable you could send Louis down there as well. Um, or, you know, I guess it depends on what Furlan looks like on the LTIR. But, you know, there's still a lot of bodies and veteran mm-hmm. bodies at that. I, it, it's just hard to see. I, I think you want to make sure you have room that when the KHL season is done, that there is room for Vasily Pod Colson to get into the mix and get a look at him because I think physically he is ready. He's a big body, and I think they are convinced that he is ready to play. But I think with Hoaglander um, and I think with Cole Lynn, it's hard to see those guys jumping in for this particular season. I think quietly amongst the organization, they are hopeful that everybody, you know, you talk about the names you just threw out there, but Jace Horlax is a name. They go, holy smokes, that guy's better than we thought. Right, who gets an opportunity? I think that was a quiet Tyler Mott type signing, and we've seen how people, you know, really came to gravitate toward Tyler Mott. That they hope Horlock could be a guy who might take advantage of 
Uh, you know, there, you don't want to say a revolving door, but for now, that's where you question what's coming from the Vancouver Canucks. It's on the right side offensively, whether it's for 10 and whether it's a Pod Colson coming, Horlack stepping up, a McEwen knowing that he's here. Uh, you know, there is a vacancy sign there on the right side of the Canucks. It's just a matter of who, if anyone, can step up and fill it. Because if they fill it, they can be doing it for a long time, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 minutes to 9 o'clock. The Scott Ritual Show coming your way at the uh, top of the hour. Uh, still to come, uh, we'll get to more of your texts on the Dunbar Lumber text line. A lot of people uh, joining us on a trip down memory lane this morning on your uh, their first encounter with a sports athlete or personality. Uh, we'll share some more of those with you. And in a moment, Pear, no more BS, right? We will deal with a little BS or is it PS and tell you how an old school comedian was a key to the Dallas Cowboys win on Sunday. That's ahead, 840 on Sportsnet 650. It's all PS, no BS, right here on the starting lineup. I'm not going to give you any BS. I'm just going to give you straight PS, everybody. Uh, not sure if he's a comedic genius, but Gallagher, the comedian Gallagher, played a big part in the Dallas Cowboys win on Sunday. Any attention to this little watermelon? <laughs> yeah, Gallagher used to like take a sledgehammer to watermelons, anything. That was a shtick. I don't know how it was funny, but Saturday night in the team meeting, Mike McCarthy grabbed a sledgehammer put watermelons around and started hammering him and said to his defense, that's how you attack the football. The last watermelon was a 33 on it. Delvin Cook's number. And they said, go after it. Demarcus Lawrence, give me the hammer. I'm going after it. Hey, the Cowboys created fumbles on Sunday. They had a big win. They got a new challenge in front of them to play Thursday and Thanksgiving. But it was crazy, James, but it seemed to work. (laughs) It isn't pretty. It just looks that way. Isn't that the song? Yeah, that's what worked for them. Got their two points. Hey, P.S., there will be baseball this summer, and for one night in a field where it could only have been dreamed of. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course... We won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. Uh, It's 2021, man. They'll charge you more than $20 per person. But apparently, August 12th, 2021, Yankees and the White Sox will play in Dyersville, Iowa. They've got to come out of cornfields, don't they, when you're introduced somehow, some (laughs) way? I guess you got to go to Iowa to find out if you want to do that. People will go, man. Filled the Dreams was a great movie. Hey, uh, P.S. Tough enough. What's that? Overrated. Really? I wasn't the biggest Field of Dreams guy. Give me Bull Durham. Give Uh, me the natural. Give me Major League. Yeah. Tough enough to meet the press when you're a young star, but LaMelo Ball, when he had to deal with the media in Charlotte, he had to deal with his daddy issues because his dad said he could beat Michael Jordan. Here's how he handled it. Uh, like I said, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And then I think we know how it would turn out, to be honest. So uh, I don't really know too much. But, I mean, that is my pops. Yeah, it's my boss. So I'm on both sides now. You feel me? 
Man, I, I, it's just been that's P.S. But honestly, it's just been B.S. Lavar Ball, I guess, got what he wanted, right? He's been proclaiming that his kids would be star players. He's got them both in the NBA. I don't know if they've excelled like he thought, but we'll see if Lamelo. Uh, I don't want to say if he can carry a family chi. The Baller brand, not necessarily successful. Just let your kids play, man. Let them be happy. Just shut up, for lack of a better word, Dad. <laughs> Just, you know, LaMelo, take take the knee and just concede that your boss would still kick your dad's ass in a game of ball. When Michael Jordan is beating LaVar. P.S. One more time. There's pressure to win every game in the NFL, but mistakes happen. Yeah, Marcus Valdez-Scandling, the big fumble in overtime, death threats. Cheeseheads with death threats. They were bringing out the tree, sh- the cheese shredder for him. Aaron Rodgers stepped up and said, you know what, man? Like, it's just bad timing on his part. Jeez, the number of bad fumbles I had. Love the kid. He's going to be okay. Such is social media. Such is the scrutiny of the NFL when you make a mistake. You know what? They're going to jump on you in a big way, and that's what happened to Scandling, who I personally like the guy, but he's not good enough for my fantasy football team. I dropped him about a month ago because he doesn't <laughs> inconsistent. Uh, the fantasy. This has not been a good. Uh, it's been a bad four weeks in fantasy for me. Oh, I hear you. Uh, that's not BS, everybody. Just PS right here in the starting lineup. Uh, the Scott Ritual Show coming up at 9 o'clock. Uh, Jeff Merrick from Hockey Central and uh, Sportsnet's Hockey Night in Canada, uh, along with John Clayton dropping by to visit uh, Scotty uh, starting at 9 o'clock this morning. A lot of people uh, taking part, jumping in on uh, on Twitter, also on the Dunbar Lumber text line today at 650-650, sharing their first memories meeting uh, an athlete or a sports personality pair. Uh, man, we've got dozens and dozens and dozens of submissions all morning long. There was a great one uh, this morning from Andy uh, saying, my my first player I met was Steve Rogers. I was at a baseball camp wow. that was run by my grade six teacher. They were handing out 50-50 type tickets and I asked why. He said, don't worry about it. Magically I won the draw and Steve Rogers autographed his glove and gave it to me. And being in grade six, of course, I played the crap out of it and ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you get something like that, you want to keep it. How about Doug in Port Moody? He says he met Muhammad Ali in 1978 when he went 15 rounds with Leon Spinks in Las Vegas. So you love the Steve Rogers, and you, you can be that guy to say, I met Muhammad Ali. Unbelievable, Doug. There's the story. You know, you know, and and pair. I will say this: like to to the people that I have I have talked to that have met Ali face to face, they all have amazing stories to share that he lived up to the hype. George Johnson shared a great story. A longtime cal- columnist in Calgary, um, taking a flight back to Chicago from the fight against Spinks in uh, at the Superdome in uh, Louisiana. And Ali kind of looked at him, and, and he was signing an autograph for him on the plane, and he told him he was from Winnipeg, and he's like, you came from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, to see me? I must be the greatest. Like, that's incredible. Dale Walters, oh. same story. He had recently posted something on social media as well, uh, sharing his encounter with Ali, and same sort of thing. Uh, Stephen Brunt, Sportsnet uh, writer as well, they've all had wonderful experiences of a guy who was larger than life and totally lived up to the hype each and every time. I've never heard anybody share a bad story about Ali, which is awesome because of the 
just how world-renowned he was, right? Well, and I've told the story before, not when I was in the media, but I was just a, a punk sports fan kid uh, with my brother who lived in Australia. My brother had the old VHS recorder, and he was up visiting, so he wanted to take pictures back to Australia. And we went to watch a fight card. George Foreman was on the card. Mm-hmm. We're walking in the lobby, and there's George. Well, I've got the camera on my hand, so I just walk over with the video. You know, I have nothing to do. Hi, Mr. Foreman. Well, he goes off like I'm ABC Sports and does a whole bit for me, whole bit for Australia, Joe Bugna. And it just, much like you say with Ali, you go, wow. And that when George, his personality came back and he popped, he would be in that Ali context for a guy who just everybody who met him said great things about him and carries on to this day. You know, uh, so so many fun stories. Uh, a couple in closing here. Uh, Luke, uh, not the first time I met a sports celeb, but one year my friend and I were volunteering at the Jake Milford Golf Tournament. Uh, we were doing hole spotting on a par three, watching for holes in one. Gary Volk hit one off to the right, and our umbrella and table was between him and the green. He said, don't worry, you're not in play, and then proceeded to shank one through his golf cart off our umbrella and somewhere up <laughs> by the green, followed by offering 14-year-old me a beer, and then he happily signed my jersey for me. <laughs> Valky. I saw nice. Valky can play. I saw him post a card. I think his kid can play. He can yeah. play there. You know, there's one about Dominic Mobilio being the first encounter. Yeah. We've had a lot about Louis Pasaglia, and we've heard about Bobby Lenarduzzi. Kirk McLean is a guy who 10 years today goes up into, to the Ring of Honor. It's those guys that are the fabric of Vancouver that have made an awful lot of impressions, too, on the people. So, you know what? It's, it just shows the importance of sports and of interaction with people. We don't get it as much because it's all social media. But, boy, judging by our text line, James, everybody – remembers when they were a kid and they got that that opportunity to meet someone. A lot of submissions also on Twitter. Uh, Bobby Hall, their first, uh, including uh, actor Cameron Bancroft, uh, shouting out there. Uh, some love for Daryl Sittler, your original superhero there, Pear. Uh, oh, we got to yeah. get out of here. Thanks so much for taking part, hanging out with us this morning. We're back at it. Same bat time, same bat channel on Wednesday, right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650.